Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike, in a moment, as we are going to introduce our guest for this special episode and doing my best Vince McMahon impression, I can say, welcome everyone to SAG Mania! Uh, our buddy, our new friend, Scott Yeager of the Challenge Mania podcast is joining us today as we have this ORC for you, dear listener. We're going to preview and predict all things SAGs coming up this Sunday. Uh, Scott is uh, the host of the Challenge Media podcast, where he focuses mostly on the challenge, but he also goes off. He's a wonderful resource for pro wrestling. He's a wonderful resource for movies and awards news in general. And we've uh, had kind of a genuine, organic friendship, (laughs) old school fashion, just like two ships with similar interests passing in the night. Uh, This is how this formed between Scott and ourselves, Michael. Yeah, we've been talking for a while, and uh, shame on us for not having him on MMO until now. But this is a really great fit because he's very passionate about the Screen Actors Guild Award show, uh, and and he's going to explain that to you. This was a tremendous conversation that flowed extremely well, and I I can't wait to, for you guys to hear it. But you know, do do check out Scott's work on Challenge Mania. He does like us you know make the 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 challenge his main thing he keeps the main mm-hmm. thing the main thing but he also has fun going off and and doing other series he has the heel world h e e l instead of the real world there as a dad joking son of a gun that we can uh, <laughs> admire here but he, no he does that he does these recurring series with the heel world kind of like mike mike and emmy uh he he's a movie fanatic and an awards junkie and he he tweets a lot about that and he'll do a a movie podcast on the on challenge mania he just uh went over scream uh like well like we did uh of this 2022 and he's gone he's done episodes on die hard he's done tv episodes on game of thrones back in the day and he just he showcases incredible interviews almost uh, every episode with uh you know reality world personnel everybody a challenge maniac might want to hear but he also had bob saget sean michaels paul walter hauser Dustin Rhodes, I mean, The Miz, Johnny Bananas, you you name it. Uh, he, he's got a, a long resume of interviewees that uh, I know are, are dream guests of ours and people that we've talked to or in Paul Walter Hauser's case, Mike. So, yeah, this guy's a man after our, our own hearts, I would say. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Kindred spirits, certainly. And for those of you who follow the challenge and and know anything about that world, I mean, his co-host for that podcast is Derek Kaczynski, who is obviously a legend in the challenge world. So, I mean, uh, Scott here is as real deal as real deal gets. And we couldn't be happier. We are thrilled to have him for this show. And my God, does he go in depth for us and with us. He's, he's a fellow degenerate, if not currently, than in the making, because his <laughs> breakdowns of these gambling lines we're going to talk about are just, it's something that would bring a tear to, to both We Mike's and David Long's eyes. So looking forward to that uh, to have for you, but we have a great show in store. Do check out Challenge Mania, wherever you can uh, listen to podcasts. 
you can find that show if you are interested. They have live shows as well, Challenge Mania Live. You can go seek out those tickets when they're on sale, challengemania.live. But otherwise, be sure to follow Scott at Shot of Jaeger, all one word, Y-A-G-E-R on Twitter or Twitter, as the mm-hmm. website's called. <laughs> Otherwise, guys, uh, we have a treat. This is a great listen in store for you. Get ready to strap in. We're going to talk about SAGs and how it may shape the Oscars picture this Sunday. Sagmania with Scott Yeager is on deck. All right, on the line joining us, Scott Yeager of the Challenge Mania podcast. Scott, we've been waiting a long time to collab with you. Thank you for joining us here on MMO today. Yes, I am super excited. As you know, if you listened to our episode that dropped yesterday, I was plugging this. I am well prepared. I have studied our uh, pre-podcast discussions, and uh, I enjoy you guys very much. So thanks for uh, finally having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, the shout-out on Challenge Mania. Love the pod. Uh, love the Great Scream pod. episode. Love a lot of you, those interviews. Uh, and uh, this is this is awesome. This is this is meant to be as a lot of these conversations have indicated up till now. Like the DM conversations, the pre-production conversations, Scott. And I am like half excited, half terrified of the fact that this podcast today could just start doing karate in the garage at any moment. Like we could become <laughs> best friends at any moment, stepbrother style. It, it, anything can happen here. Uh-huh. Well, that that is actually, I think, organically what did happen because as I was just telling you guys off air, I found your guys' show because I'm an Oscars nut, awards nut, have been my whole life. And, you know, especially, you know, we go through ebbs and flows during the year of when it kind of matters more, or whether there's more clarity in the races. And I think it was either last year or the year before, I was probably just looking for more awards content than my usual dosage. I'd gotten through like whatever podcasts I'd listened to, and I somehow found you guys. And I was like, wow, these two guys from Connecticut, like I am, between the two of you, you share a lot of other extracurricular interests with me, wrestling and other things. And you guys talk about the movie circuit and awards circuit. The the exact way that I like to think about it, down to the last sound category, which I also love. Um, so I've been a fan ever since, and uh, I'm really excited to be chatting with you guys because I envy what you guys do. Is really, it's so funny. You know, Challenge Mania, of course, are you know my bread and butter podcast, uh, which is how I make the majority of my living these days. Is talking about one show, The Challenge, uh, but really my heart lies in Hollywood with the scripted programming, with the films, etc. Um, but that's not the hand I was dealt as a podcast uh, performer, but as a podcast listener, you guys are serving the crack that I desperately will you know vaulter into a uh, alleyway to receive. So um, I appreciate getting to chat with it, even for a couple hours with you guys. Not the first time I've been accused of being a drug dealer, but I'll take it as a compliment <laughs> this time around. But no, I was sure in all sincerity. I mean, you're, you're being very nice. And we, Mike said that at the top of the episode, and we, I echo the sentiment. I mean, we do love the Challenge Mania pod, and I am a challenge junkie myself, as long as well as a pro wrestling junkie and all that. So there is some kind of simpatico going on here uh, between you and the two of us. But you yourself are a card carrying member of SAG. You are a part of the Screen Actors Guild. Can you give us a little background of, along those lines? How did you get involved in SAG? Uh, when did you get your, your official membership? How long have you been part of the uh, the SAG organization? Yeah, so it's it's so interesting. So my 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 col- I went to college. I was a film major. I thought I was going to be coming out working in the film industry, and I ended up peeing on a couple movies. But for the most part, I came out. and I fell out into reality television docu series where I worked for ten years, uh, and then also simultaneously podcasting, which is something I just kind of did as a passion for years. Again, I would have wanted to be talking about film and uh, scripted television, Game of Thrones, things that I, that I'm really passionate about, wrestling even, and that also was not the hand that I was dealt. I 
I kind of fell into the show about the challenge. My co-host, Derek Kaczynski, a uh, 10, 12 season veteran, three-time challenge champion. And that's the podcast that eventually took off for me. Uh, that being said, movies, you know, film, television, and awards have always been a passion of mine. And uh, when I met my wife in about 2013, 14, she was working as an actress, but also as a voiceover actress. And I had mentioned to her that I always wanted to get into voiceovers. And she kind of called my bluff, like I often do when people tell me they like to get, they want to get into voiceovers. I sent them to my coach that I used, and that's what she did. As a birthday present, she got me a coaching session with Bruce Cronenberg over at Abacus Entertainment, and I fell in love with it. And I did a course package, made a demo, sent it out to some agents, and uh, within a few months, got agency representation, shouts to uh, CSD. And uh, started booking commercials, New York Lottery commercial here, Burger King commercial here, things like that. And so doing voiceover work, mainly uh, commercials, narrations, things like that. Very early on, I was invited to join the Screen Actors Guild, uh, which some people say, you know, do. Some people say don't do. It's obviously it's a hefty price tag to join. And then it limits you. You can only do union work from then on. But for me, one of the big selling points was, wait a minute. So I get to vote for the SAG Awards because... As mm -hmm. someone who listens to the Mike and Mike and Oscars of the world and the big pictures of the world and has always kind of come up with my ballot on my own for the Oscars and Golden Globes and SAG Awards and all that stuff to actually have a vote and get invited to screenings and get the screeners. Are you sure. nuts? I mean, so honestly, I could have booked one commercial and never paid off my dues and I would have been happy just voting for the SAG Awards every year. So, yeah, uh, I believe it was January 2016 is when I became a card-carrying member of the Screen Actors Guild. Well, really happy that I did so. It, uh, it did wonders for my voiceover career, and I would recommend anybody looking to make the decision to do it. Uh, and again, one of the perks and one of the fun aspects of it is, especially if you live in a place like New York City where I live, you get invited to a lot of fun talks and, and screenings and Q&As, and you get to frolic with the uh, the talent and the Hollywood elite and whatnot. And then you also get a ballot around this time of year. You get the screeners, and you get to have your say, albeit one of, I believe, 160,000 votes or something like that, but you do get a vote. So for a, a big uh, vote guy, an awards guy like me, it was music to my ears. So it's been a while now. I think it's it's been six, seven years, something like that. I appreciate you telling that story uh, to our listeners, and I appreciate you confirming uh, here and now for me why your uh, ghost face impersonation is so good on, <laughs> on Challenge Pod. Because, yeah, no, learning about you and the voice acting, that, it does make some sense uh, these last few weeks. So this is, this is a, a good fit, I think, this episode. SAG Mania with Scott Yeager. This, this worked out, and uh, I, I am eager to kind of dive into this uh, – to this subject with you today. So I guess we could maybe start with last year, if that's all right. And, you know, last year we had the SAG broadcast. It was strange. It was from everybody's homes. Uh, you know, they started out with the I'm an actor stuff, but it kind of became this just, you know, round table, uh, that 70s show of Helen Mirren talking about seeing a bear <laughs> to Jimmy Fallon with his guitar to Viola Davis's freaked out face. Well, what did you think of last year's show, Scott? Did, do you think they can bring anything to this year? Uh, are, you, are you excited for this year's broadcast? Well, all right. I think that 2020 as a movie year, right, as an awards year to me is hopefully going to become like the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift of years, right? <laughs> like we're all going to eventually forget about it, but then like it'll become the hipster thing to say that like, oh, it was actually a good year. But for the most part, I think we're kind of giving it an asterisk, right? We're giving mm -hmm. a mulligan. Sadly, not a Carrie Mulligan. I hope I wanted her to win, but we're given a Mulligan on 2020, <laughs> SAG included. I thought for the hand they were dealt, they did a pretty interesting job bringing it to Zoom. Um, 
Um, I thought that, you know, SAG is always an award show that kind of isn't all the bells and whistles as the other award shows are. They've tried to dabble into that realm and added a host from year to year. But for the most part, it's always kind of been its own thing and it's actors on actors. And because of that, you do get this extra level of enthusiasm and passion that comes with it. But I think the years that it does best are the years where it's not trying to be the Oscars or the Golden Globes. Now, last year, other than the Oscars, I mean, these all kind of felt like the same award show just because of the the remote nature of these shows. And we're Mm -hmm. all kind of watching them with one eye open, looking at the awkwardness of how people are standing apart or not there at all or all on Zoom. So um, I think for for what it was and for it being pre-taped and the results somehow not getting out, uh, I think was fairly interesting. There were a couple surprises along the way, I believe. Uh, Viola Davis, I don't think, was uh, Mm. necessarily necessarily picked to win at the time so um but it's also very short and sweet particularly last year i think what was it 17 minutes no it was like an hour something like that um yeah so i mean for me this i will say that the the process of being involved in the sag awards um has always for the most part been for me especially selfishly because i get to be a part of the the lead up and stuff more about that and more about the role it plays as a precursor than the show itself uh the show itself and and how they they treat it i think they always do a respectable job but i don't think they're ever kind of shooting to be the thing you're talking about on monday morning at the water cooler anyway so they're also not the thing you're going to be you know hating on on monday which i think is great you know they never embarrass anybody uh no one's ever you know calling for a host to be canceled or anything like that Mm. uh and it doesn't overstay its welcome which i think is nice yeah, you make a good point in that the SAGs are usually, they're more known for setting the table for the Oscars in a bigger way. Like Chadwick Boseman last year winning, that was supposed to be this further momentum shift, and that's what made Anthony Hopkins even more of a shock when he actually ended up winning Best Actor at the Oscars. Uh, Black Panther a couple years ago wins Best Ensemble for the SAG, and that got people talking, well, maybe it can pull this upset for Best Picture, but you've already alluded to how SAG does their uh, nomination process and their voting process. Mike, why don't you run down some of the specs of how we actually get to the nominations at the SAGs before we have Scott fill in and uh, talk about his experience or his desire to want to be on the nomination committee. Yeah, SAG merged with AFTRA back in 2012, the uh, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and it didn't shift their membership that much. I think it added uh, a couple uh, tens of thousands of members eventually, but they were at 116,000 in terms of uh, members in 2019, they're at 129,000 active members now, which is wow. obviously a, a big difference than the 10,000 members at the Oscars. So the, the, it is a much larger votership, which could explain some differences down the line. But I do want to ask you, Scott, about like a lot of the, what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks with the House of Gucci snubs, I guess you could call them. Uh, because we've had, you know, Scott Feinberg discuss the the TikTokers that are now in SAG and the kind of the how they're going mainstream in a way uh, per Ann Thompson of IndieWire. Like these are two of our favorite pundits shouting out the fact that SAG is going uh, a little bit different. A little bit of a different. Well, if route. we don't know what Charlie D'Amelio wants to win, then what are any of us doing here? You know. <laughs> So what do you think of that? What do you, do you agree just by the numbers of it all, Scott? Or do you think uh, do you think it's just the same as always? Because they hit the actor category for that for that matter. 
Well, I would be, I would uh, look uh, and transparency would always be more interesting than what we get on almost every level of Amen. every show award show, uh, all this stuff. I think it'd be nice to see. Cause you say, you know, 116 eligible voters, how many people vote? Right. Uh, I would love <laughs> to know that. Like, I'll be honest. We just did our challenge mania awards, right. Where to vote, you have to be a challenge mania patron. We have like a thousand patrons, but I can tell you only 650 of them voted. So I don't know if it's 350 being, you know, just like uh, negligent or not caring or whatever, but, or forgetting they're subscribed. I have no idea but it's just like that happens right so i would love to know what percentage of the 116 end up voting and then really when we're talking about the 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 representation of the nominees we're talking about the nominating committee which is even a smaller more Thank elite you. body of people and I, now look i know it's random who gets selected for the nominating committee but i would like to know how many of those are tiktokers right because so you mentioned me wanting to be on the nominating committee uh, again, I'm I'm spoiled because I live here in New York, as a, as a lot of actors do. Let's be honest. So of those, you know, hundred thousand actors, I'm sure a, a nice sizable chunk live in New York or L.A. or maybe Atlanta or somewhere like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, yes, I would say predominantly New York and L.A. But that being said, when you live here, you really do get to uh, reap the benefits of the the FYC stuff for your consideration. These actors and actresses and often directors, even on the SAG end will come out and shake hands, kiss babies, and talk about their films. And for me, someone who you know loves this stuff and went to this stuff even before I was in SAG, whenever I could or however I could, I would often pay to attend things. There, there would be I when as a uh, as a kid in high school, my mom enrolled me into whatever the class was at the New School University was <laughs> to attend inside the actor's studio with James Lipton. And huh. I was I went to see Robin Williams and Will Smith and Samuel Jackson and all this stuff. And um, literally, we paid as if I I guess you could pay to go even if you weren't a student getting credit, but it was predominantly, I think, a graduate level course for the actor's studio. It then became this kind of big business thing that they did in front of an audience and it moved to pace. But at the time in high school, again, I was seeking out these opportunities to, you know, get, you know, close to the to the filmmakers and to the actors and things like that. And when you then attach that to a film and you get the added perspective of them talking about it and, you know, maybe you do get to speak to them after and they're nice to you, that little, little bit there does add to the way that you perceive a film or a film's cause or you know the level of thought that was put into certain sure. things and subconsciously it makes you root for people and when you're deciding between five people that you like and respect relatively equally ah, the fact that bradley cooper took five extra minutes to talk to me that might subconsciously even not on paper be the reason you vote for him now being one out of 116,000 votes for the awards might not make a dent but if you're one of those 800 or whatever it is nominating committee members that does make a difference. And what I'll say is that portion of this race happens early. It happens before a lot of these narratives come into play. And because of that, I think what happens with a lot of these shows, once the the awards, the nominations start rolling out, we start to expect these things. And we look at someone like Jennifer Lopez not showing up on an Oscars ballot as a snub. But that's just because all the precursors told us she was going to be nominated, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like a snub. The nominating committee for SAG, I think, is going out there this year, maybe not last year, but this year, they're going, they're seeing the films, they're they're meeting the talent, and they're putting their thoughts down on paper to put together a uh, an eventual ballot before the Golden Globe winners are announced or things like that that might make them say, oh, never mind, no one's talking about Jennifer Hudson? Okay, I guess we won't, you know? And so that's why I think sometimes you get outliers with like an Emily Blunt or, you know, you get, like you say, populist picks. I don't think it's because of TikTokers. I think it's because a lot of the actors in the nominating committee are actually voting and thinking with their hearts 
in November or whenever this process is going down and not with, you know, just kind of going with the grain that by February we all kind of have in the back of our minds, if that makes sense. But there is this tightrope that the certainly the academy, I guess, sag to a lesser extent, but certainly the academy tries to walk where, yes, it's it's people in the industry lauding themselves with praise and voting for people within the industry. And yet at the same time, we know the academy and I, again, sag to a much lesser extent, but still sag as an organization, like they care about ratings. They want to appeal. They're always trying to get more of a wider audience. They're always trying to go more mainstream. And we just had this initiative of the, uh, the academy introduced a couple of days ago where they're going to once again, basically try to do the popular film thing they're gonna i don't know how exactly it's gonna go down but they're gonna reward or recognize or give a a tribute to the most popular film of the year as voted on by viewers of the whatever whether it's the program or the lead up to the oscars etc etc do you have any ideas on how they can bridge that gap between just being an industry awards kind of wholesaler for themselves and trying to bring in more viewing eyes and more casual movie fans So I have kind of, I would say, uh, now more of a minority position take on this, uh, more specifically as it applies to the Oscars, because that's more often how you hear it. But even Mm. as it trickles down to SAG or to the Golden Globes or whatever, is that for me, I don't need it to be for everyone else. It's for me. It's for Mike (laughs) and Mike. It's for it's for you guys. This is our thing to me. It's not cool if Heath Ledger gets nominated and wins the Oscar if we rig the system for him to be nominated. You know, it's not cool for Black Panther to be nominated if we kind of did some weird thing where it gets... So the harder it is to be nominated, yes, nine times out of ten or three years out of four, you're going to be annoyed and you're not going to have the quote-unquote populist films up there. But when you do, it will mean more, you know, and it won't come with an asterisk. And so... I think people who are like, you know, simultaneously calling for the best films to be acknowledged, but also the ratings to go up. Ratings are going down across the board, regardless on everything other than the NFL, right? That's just how Mm -hmm. TV is going. You know, we don't have just 10 channels anymore. We don't even have 100 channels anymore. And everyone's got seven episodes of Ozark to catch up on. So the idea that we're going to like draw in my 17 year old niece or nephew and my grandma to watch something that they don't truly care about. I don't think we're going to lure them in by like rigging the system so their favorite people are there because they're nominated. Let's get them there even if they're not nominated. I'm sure we can do that. We were doing that for years. For years, you would see a montage. And if you watch the montages during the Oscars, it looked like Captain America mattered and it looked like Spider-Man mattered and all this good stuff. And when the nominations rolled out, it was still the the smaller films and the art house films and the critically acclaimed films. And to me, that's what adds the that's the difference between this and the People's Choice Awards or even in some instances, the Critics' Choice Awards or other things that or the MTV Movie Awards that even for a lot Mm. of my youth mattered, you know. I just think that there is a the quote unquote populist thing. We're, we're, we're striving for something that will never happen. And mm-hmm. the, to me, the Oscars, the SAG Awards, the Golden Globes, they're for people like me, like you guys who like to talk about this stuff, theorize and wonder and this and that. And yes, it would it be nice if occasionally there were there were films that we just went to a theater and enjoyed showed up. But occasionally they do. Mad Max Fury Road. It happens. People are somehow forgetting that Dune is also one of these kinds of movies. They're like, where's Spider-Man? It's there. It's just Dune. So I, I just feel like, you know, the, all this convo and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts where they spend half the time talking about how we could make the Oscars do better in the ratings. Guys, what's great about the Oscars is no matter how poorly they rate, they're still going to be on TV because it doesn't matter they're the oscars right and so i i just think to use a wrestling analogy it's like 
you know, WWE spends so much time trying to make their product now for the masses and for the casual fan and for the, the kid who maybe only watches wrestling three times a year to make sure he'll spend 60 bucks when he goes to the show. And I'm more about the AEWs and the wrestling that caters to the 36-year-old adult who likes to be taken seriously and not treated like an idiot and entertained mm. 52 weeks a year. You know what I mean? And so for me, I feel the same way about award shows. Therefore, to me, the film buffs, those of us who watch every movie. I'm sick of hearing people are only going to watch the Oscars if the movies they saw are nominated. Hello, I watch all the movies that are nominated because they were nominated. So I'm just like, I get I get what they're trying to do. I get that, you know, we kind of look at it as this thing where it's like the Academy, but the Academy is still a collection of 10,000 people. SAG is still a collection of 100,000 people. We don't have one big meeting where we sit or sit around a table and say, all right, what can we do? We all get a ballot. We all vote for what we liked. And that's what's great about it is that ultimately it's a collection of individual decisions. Everyone continuously talks about this stuff. Like I know that the Hollywood Foreign Press is sort of like this because it's like, you know what, 80 to 100 people. But look what trouble they got into because of that. So mm. I honestly think that the more we try to tweak things manipulate things the more it becomes something that it's that it's not supposed to be and i i get that there's people who want it to be that but scott yeager is not one of them so i'm not going to necessarily put that speech on like the bill pullman independence day uh level but it's close scott that i needed that speech right there <laughs> and i think mike and i have have worried about the popularity of the oscars for a while because you know of the niches out there this is kind of our thing our niche and we we, we do wonder about it and look i'll be honest as maybe like one more point on the subject i think if hulu and disney plus if that's where the oscars are going to be on a streaming service this year if you add those ratings to whatever we'll get and if you add the youtube ratings or whatever else wherever else it is online the oscars broadcast you'll probably see a much more respectable number at the end of the day and i think they should try and widen the tent in that regard but you know to have the oscars remain the oscars is probably a good thing as well uh, and and that 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 was one of those speeches where you're a traditionalist but you're also just like embracing the niche i really appreciate that man yeah i mean there's just things that i i think at one point in time sure by nature of the way television works, uh, our populist culture, right? And there are there were years where people used to watch award shows because they were the big thing on, but now we just have so much other stuff. We don't waste time watching things because they're the big thing on. Like American Idol, when it first started, a lot of people tuned in because they were like, ooh, what's this? That doesn't happen anymore. You don't get mm. people who are just like gonna, because you're the laundry list of stuff that you have to watch, the back catalog, especially if you're someone like us who adds movies to that catalog, you don't have time for it. So, I mean, to me, uh, to use a challenge analogy also, you know, Challenge Mania and, and the Challenge World, they just announced yesterday that they are broadening the challenge. It will now, they will, this summer, there yeah. will be a challenge on CBS. It will contain, at least what they're telling us, no traditional challenge cast members. It will be made up of cast members from Amazing Race and The Bachelor and, uh, well, I guess not The Bachelor because that's ABC, but Amazing Race and Survivor and Big Brother and things like mm -hmm. that. And guess what? It's going to be on CBS. It will get more viewers than any challenge has ever gotten. It's got the challenge label. It's got TJ Lavin, but it doesn't have the stuff that caters to the, you know, 20 year challenge veteran viewers. Right. And they're upset about it and they don't like that. The challenge is becoming something else. But guess what? On paper, it will look like the biggest success the challenge has ever had. The challenge just sold their rights to do a challenge in Argentina, in the UK, in Australia. 
Those shows initially won't even be viewable here in the US. Eventually they might be, but those are for those markets. They are raking in cash. If you're looking at it from a success point of view and all you want to know is how nice of a car does John Murray drive or whatever, then you should be happy, but they're not. And so to me, I don't understand why, you know, I am that level of fan for the Oscars, for Hollywood, for the movie industry, where I, I care about the consistency. When you mm-hmm. all of a sudden condense sound into one category, I'm like, wait a minute, this stinks now on Wikipedia, all of a sudden it just changes. You know, so to me, anything that, you, that is being done to like get more ratings or to you know, cater to the populist group, I'm with the diehard challenge maniacs who don't like these things you know, that are quote unquote making it more popular on paper because it's making it further from the thing that I love. When the best picture went from five to 10, I didn't like it. I don't like it because I don't think you can really hang your hat on being the ninth best picture slot the same way you could the fifth. And so, yeah, I would have liked to see Dark Knight nominated. It wasn't. And I don't think we need to spend 10 years having the next Dark Knight be nominated because guess what? It still won't mean as much as when Beauty and the Beast gets nominated in 1993 because that was one of five, you know? And so I just think that, you know, trying to cater to the populist audience, I get it. I just don't get why we, the people who are in no matter what, we are grandfathered in. We are in it to win it, my friends. We're going to watch the Oscars no matter what. Why we care if an extra three million people are who aren't going to care the next week or the week before. Yeah, pandering to, you know, everybody's, you know, casual movie fan may may not be the move. Whereas, you know, having having the passionate people support uh continue to be passionate that that's uh, that I, that heartens me so that this is this is great let's let's do karate in the garage now and let's talk about these five categories but this was a a great uh lead in i would say uh in terms of the big picture sag oscars all that uh we, we're going to talk about hosts down the line maybe uh in in further episodes uh but do do you have any any thoughts on Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall, Scott, to maybe but b- before we get in uh, to, to these five? Rumors are that they weren't like the initial top choices, which I think you can you can obviously see that, right? I mean, they're not like necessarily all top of mind people. They're all lovely people, right? They're all very funny people. Um, for the most part, I would say two of the three are people that are universally beloved. Amy mm-hmm. Schumer being the one that I think has her detractors, but I'm an Amy Schumer fan. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in general, the reason we got to this spot where nobody wants to host the Oscars is because we care too damn much and we're too hard on these hosts before, after, and during the Oscars, and that's why you wind up with these hosts. So I think that, hey, guys, let's not completely crap all over this, and maybe next year we do get Zendaya and Tom Holland or something like that. Uh, I think you know the hosts, again, could have been something to bring in a different audience. I think they did obviously try. I heard they reached out to Selena Gomez to try to bring her in with maybe Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short. Everyone rumored Tom Holland and Zendaya. I don't know if that's like a true conversation. I think maybe bringing in a Robert Downey Jr. or somebody like that could have potentially brought in a new audience, but... I think, you know, ever since the Kevin Hart thing, um, which, again, I think was a mistake, but less of an Oscars mistake and more of, I think, just like a, you know, sort of general place we're in as a as a culture mistake. But I think that's the reason is like, do you want to be put on this pedestal that is going to take everything you've said or done and get it put through the ringer for two months? And then afterwards, are people going to analyze every joke, most of which you didn't even write yourself and and talk about how you failed, you know? And so it is probably the toughest gig and the, the least attractive gig. It doesn't shock me that Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't want that, that he wants to go out and introduce both teams on the Super Bowl in 40 seconds and be universally beloved because of it. So um, I'm cool with it. And again, I'm cool with it because 
I think to not be cool with it is being part of the problem, you know? Uh, and it's why we have so many hostless shows these days is because we can't get out of our own way and we're just kind of overanalyzing this stuff to death, you know? So the, with the host, I think the host, I think is something we should just kind of take in stride uh, and enjoy it for what it is. It's definitely a thankless job. We've talked about that a, a lot here as well. And we'll kind of share your view on that. Uh, like Mike said, we're going to talk more about hosts in upcoming episodes. But all right, let's dive into these uh, these movie SAG categories as they are. And we'll start with female actor in a leading role. And we'll talk about the SAG betting odds as we have them. The nominees here, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardo. She's the favorite of the field, 10 to 11 odds. Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye. She's about plus 450, as is Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, 9 to 2 plus 450, however you want to define it lady gaga i should have read on lady gaga is also there at plus 450 as well nine to two odds jennifer hudson is the back of the pack the long shot of this field at 12 to one for her role in respect michael yeah i'm wondering how uh we we got no gaga at the oscars scott and i know you got some theories because there's a couple of questions right off the bat why no Kristen stewart in this sag five why no gaga at the oscars and I think the betting odds is kind of an indication for SAG. And, and, and thanks to David Long, by the way, uh, for these betting yes. odds. These are coming from the U.K. today. But these betting odds with Kidman, Chastain, and Coleman above Gaga and Hudson, who did not get nominated for Oscar, it, it, it's, it's a reflection on, those, on that Oscar five. So why do you think no Gaga at Oscar and why do you think no Stewart at SAG? Well, it's so interesting because you know, last year everything was remote. This year we started off, but we were having a lot of in-person stuff, and then that kind of got cut off towards December when Omicron hit, sadly. But I did get a chance to go to three in-person events, one of which was Spencer with Kristen Stewart there and uh, Pablo Lorraine, one of which was House of Gucci with Lady Gaga and Jared Leto, and I know nice. they did a ton. And the third was uh, Nightmare Alley with Bradley Cooper. And can I just say that both having an in-theater experience but also – getting to meet and see Lady Gaga and Jared Leto. I think I took the movie, you know, the same way Mike did as just an enjoyable experience, yeah. one that I one that I had fun with. Um, but to use to use an example, you know, I will say as far as the snub in quotes goes, is that I do like in this theater experience in this movie more in the same vein as say like a Hustlers um, then maybe a, a Power of the Dog or a movie that's going to go and sweep at the Oscars. I think that in recent years we've had movies like Bohemian Rhapsody be that really enjoyable theater experience with a good performance or two, go and rake at the Oscars and rake at the Golden Globes and almost do so surprisingly that we had kind of penciled Gucci in and penciled Gaga in. And mm -hmm. I think, to be honest with you, to her detriment, those in-person events stopped uh, and she wasn't able to con continuously do the rounds and be out there reminding people, hey, I was a theater major first. I'm an actress first. Um, and so I think that to me, she gets the love here, not in Oscar. Reverse goes for, for Kristen Stewart, who I would say is a little worse on the campaign trail. She's not a very warm person. You know, she's definitely like straight to the car after. Um, and she's not like the easiest person to watch on stage. She's a little fidgety and whatnot. But to me, I'm watching her and I almost it almost made me appreciate the performance more of how she encapsulated uh, Princess Diana so well on screen for the two hours of that film. I know the film isn't very, you know, well received. The weird thing this year is that, you know, arguably now, in my opinion, you might have the favorite on this end, not up for the Oscar and the favorite for the Oscar, <laughs> not up for SAG. 
Mm-hmm. Albeit with Nicole Kidman waiting in the wings, having won the Golden Globe, but such a weird year with the Golden Globes unfolding on Twitter, I believe. It's almost as if we're not processing them as a precursor anymore. So I know she's the betting favorite here. I just don't know how much I believe it with Kidman uh, because of what I said about the uh, Globes. It is a, just a weird year in general. I'm, I'm wondering how you personally take the Globes and like how w- w- when you're doing the prediction stuff, you've been you said you've been a fan, longtime fan of all the awards anyway. So when you're doing your prediction stuff personally and in your mind, is this year different for you and how you? I, I would think it has to be. But how how much weight do you put in something like the Golden Globes or like the Critics' Choice, even though it's been moved off its spot usual spot and now it's later in the season this year as compared to other years? Like wh- what do you do personally in weighing these precursors for this year versus other years past? You know, I, I sometimes overthink this stuff, um, so I might be wrong in saying this, but I do think this year is uh, more susceptible to upsets in quotes because I don't know how many of these are truly upsets. We really haven't seen any precursors roll out uh, mm-hmm. for the most part yet. A lot of these nominations came out in, in atypical orders and timelines than they usually do. The Golden Globes, again, Yes, technically they happened, but they didn't happen, right? They didn't come with a speech. Like so much goes, a lot of podcasters especially will talk about if you give a great speech, it can help you, right? And we didn't see anyone who won on Globe Sunday give a speech, right? We saw them like like a tweet and many of them even mm-hmm. didn't because they didn't want to even show any love to the Hollywood right. Foreign Press. So I had to go back the other day and read who won the Globes, you know, and like it was a big day for... Uh, West Side Story, you know, which I actually think is now moving further and further down the list, but... I think West Side Story is the film not too well represented on the SAG end, but that could creep in as an upset at Oscar Sunday because of that Disney Plus arrival on, I believe, March 3rd. And I think similar thing happened for Nightmare Alley, which is, you know, peaking late because it appeared on HBO Max and Hulu later on. And and so... These are weird things that I think, especially, and I'm a voter, I get DVDs, right? Even and, Or and I get the screening link. Having one that I can just do two clicks, boom, boom, and watch on Netflix, or boom, boom, watch on Disney+, Plus, or it, it helps. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Like, there's got to be people less diligent than me that don't watch a movie that they have to... Some people don't even have DVD players anymore, right? But right. having to log in and create a thing and use the screener service, that one step far removed, I'd imagine there's probably thousands of people that don't watch a certain movie because of that. So when you look at these films, um, I think that Nicole Kidman's film, Being the Ricardos, being on Amazon is a plus. You know, Jessica Chastain's film, Eyes of Tammy Faye, being on uh being on, what was it, uh, HBO Max for a long time is a plus. Olivia Coleman's film, again, same thing. Netflix, Lady Gaga, House of Gucci, though, again, you got to take that screener into play and or did you see it in the theater? I think, though, that if people watched it now, does Lady Gaga get a bit of momentum from having been snubbed? Does it almost work in her favor? Does she now get votes from people frustrated that she was snubbed? Uh, I forget the order of operations, the Lopez year, but I believe SAG had already happened by the time we knew she got snubbed for the Oscars. I forget, but I do feel like that's more of a normal order of operations. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that we have this interesting place now where Gaga could benefit from not getting the Oscar nom here and at least maybe not win... But I do wonder if that vaults her past, you know, a Coleman or a Chastain or someone like that who, you know, has less motivation behind them as uh, as runners here. Because I know, you know, Kidman is the presumed favorite. Gaga now is the presumed kind of you know person who was shunned by the Oscars. And I don't know how much momentum the other ladies have in this category. You are a savvy awards pundit. 
in the in the making here, even though it's not the focus of your your show necessarily. Because yeah, you are paying attention to the calendar uh, of how things shake down and shake out, and I love all those references to it. To, to the fact that you had Gucci and their campaign peaking perhaps at the right time for SAG. Yeah, how- peaked for the right time for SAG, mm-hmm. but then was halted essentially right. for Oscar. You know, and sadly, yes, I know I get email links all the time. I I you know I'll tell you tell you I treat them like they were sent they aren't sent to my. AOL, but they might as well be because anytime I'm <laughs> quote unquote invited to a digital or a or a virtual Q and A, the which half of them quote unquote sell out. I'm like, how is that even possible? How are you <laughs> limiting access to a virtual talk or whatever? But yeah, I have zero interest. Not not to say, look, I, I I know it sounds petty, but I, I look, I can go and watch YouTube interviews whenever I want. So you're mm-hmm. sending me like a newer one that's moderated by sure. you know Eddie Redmayne or whatever. I have zero interest. So to me, when the in person stuff stopped, the campaign stopped. And for House of Gucci, that clearly, I think, got in the way of their Oscars campaign here. Um, But I will say part of the reason I try to put so much thought into this is I'm like your buddy Dave Long, where I like to throw a little coin on this stuff, do a little sprinkling. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that if you time it right, especially in a year like this, where, as I say, the Globes don't matter, you know, the, the Oscars odds will potentially shift drastically come Sunday the 27th or whenever the SAG's here. Because right now we have such little clarity that I think you will have, if someone other than, I mean, if Nicole Kidman wins, but like say Gaga wins, I think then Kristen Stewart, boom, goes to immediate betting favorite for the Oscars. You know what I mean? Uh, And I I mean, that would be, if if Gucci wins anything on SAG Sunday, it's mayhem because of how the Academy (laughs) treated Gucci and its nominations. And then the acting branch is going to laud them with any praise whatsoever, which is the biggest branch of the Academy anyway. It'd just be sheer mayhem. I would love it. I'd be the joker on the pile of cash that's burning. I would just laugh my ass off. But I think it would just cause film Twitter to explode. But I'm here for it. I want your lips to God's ears. And I will say, I mean, you know, obviously they're less sexy examples, but, you know, Chastain and Coleman alike. You know, one of them went. And I think Coleman, I think, is probably the more likely of the two. But, you know, Coleman here, she's sitting, I think, at nine to two here. I don't know what her Oscars odds are, but I know she's behind at least Kidman and uh, and um, Stewart. If -hmm. she wins here, boom, I think she goes in at number one. So. I think that, and especially on the on the male end, as we'll get to best actor, it's literally the same exact race. You know, I do think that you know if you're someone who has a bit of an instinct for what's going to happen at SAG, you know, get your bets in now for the Oscars because I think on Monday the 28th it's going to look a lot different. I love it. I love it. There's a lot of variance here, and there's a lot of uh, betting talk going into it with with so much speculation. So let's throw down then. Let's throw down some money. Let's throw down. Uh, our predictions. I don't know if you want to tab who you're going to put money on necessarily with these betting odds, but do you have a prediction for SAG? We've done a lot of the if-then talk, but uh, I'm curious uh, who you guys are going to go with. Now, uh, I apologies for saying this, uh, but I think the the one lady here who has no chance to me is Jennifer Hudson. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I have not. I will say I have not seen the film yet. It's one of the two films I have not gotten to by the time that we're recording this. I will watch it by next Sunday. Um, but I think she's one you can kind of cross off here. Uh, the other four though are so interesting because again, 
I think they all have an equal chance, even down to Gaga, who's, again, not up for the Oscar, but I think has a chance here. <laughs> you see some people who have won here at SAG in the past. I go back to Emily Blunt for Quiet Place. Like, so it wouldn't be out of the question here when you have those TikTokers voting. You know, again, if anyone can militarize the TikTokers, right? And if anyone's going to look fun on paper for any first-time SAG voters... It's Lady Gaga, you know, so mm. I think Gaga has as good of a chance here as any of the four. And if that is fun for you, odds wise to put a sprinkle down on, go ahead. Nicole Kidman, I think having won the Globe already and having won several awards in the past um, doesn't necessarily have like a fun nature of we are now anointing her or anything like that. Being the Ricardos as a film, I think has has. You know, I just watched it and I, I really liked it. And I actually thought she was really good, better than I thought she was going to be based on what everyone was telling me. So I think I'd be fine with her winning. Uh, I just know I just wonder if she's becoming the uninteresting pick. And because of that, do we get a Gaga or perhaps a Chastain even here, um, who I know is also a very beloved figure in the acting community. She's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. Yeah. Um, and you wonder if it goes to her instead. So I think Gaga or Chastain are nice plays here. I don't know. I wonder if SAG will kind of switch it up um, and give us something outside the grain, um, whether it gets in the way of Kid Kidman's eventual Oscar or not. Um, I just wonder here if this is a category where we might be able to see one of the dogs pay out. I see it kind of similarly to you, and that's why I've been the last couple of days especially thinking that this is going to be a Chastain anointing in the process, in, in waiting at least, because I, I do see this field kind of like, everything's even nobody really knows who the leader actually is despite what the gambling odds say and we're just putting Kidman at the front because of what happened at Golden Globes and that's the only precursor that's come out yet and blah 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 but just I mean if everything is even in a lot of people's eyes then I can see there's such an easy narrative to it to well it's Jessica Chastain's time can rise above that you know that it's her time narrative is just such an easy one to play with considering she's been this multi-time nominee at SAG before but hasn't won unless you want to count her win for the helps ensemble she's been a multi-time Oscar nominee but hasn't won uh, this is if it is such an even playing field usually that means that a narrative is something that's going to win out and to me that's the easiest narrative to cling to because gaga's not on oscars coleman just won kidman has her oscar already and i like you scott think jennifer hudson's kind of fifth in this field of five so that's i would put down anything on chastain for myself mike I'm surprised that we're all going Chastain here, but that is the truth. It's the fucking Catalina wine mixer today, man. Yeah. Uh, this works. Uh, we should move on to uh, male actor in a supporting role because we could probably talk about lead actress for days and days and days. That was uh, the most I wrote out of any of these categories for good reason because it is so intriguing. But that this is uh, this is going to be something to watch all season. I wonder if there's variants. Obviously, there can't cannot be a sweep with BAFTA. Not you know tabbing no Oscar nominations, so lead uh, female actor is quite the category. Let's move on. Where Cody Smith McPhee took the Golden Globe, he is the leader in supporting actor. He has odds of three to ten at SAG. Troy Kotzer of Coda seven to two. Uh, Bradley Cooper of Licorice Pizza twelve to one. Jared Leto, Mike, I'm sorry. House of Gucci fourteen. You'll all see. Long no, shot. See. Ben Affleck of the Tender Bar is 25 to 1. Those last three guys, Cooper, Leto, and Affleck, they do not have Oscar nominations in the SAG 5. Cody and Troy are the Oscar 5 representations, uh, with Kieran Hines, Jesse Plemons, and J.K. Simmons being the, you know, rounding out what, what Oscar picked. So we have around. 75 percent uh, 70 percent in terms of the winners of these last two categories crossing over 
with uh, with Oscar nominations. We have many. I think it was eighty percent for lead actress. I forgot to mention it here with uh, supporting actor. It's seventy three percent in terms of a crossover. I counted them all out like a lunatic. Ninety nine <laughs> of one thirty five here in supporting actor. So I'm wondering if. Ultimately, this is a, a race between Troy and Cody if they're going to take their cues from Oscar or if we have some snub power for Ben Affleck, Jared Leto, Bradley Cooper. What do you make of those non-Oscar three, Scott? Well, I think this in a nutshell is the difference between uh, a nominations body that, you know, thinks for themselves and ones that I think try to or at least, you know, by nature of their collective age or or preferences vote in a different way i mean look at this we have three superstars here we have bradley cooper we have jared leto we have ben affleck um we have three very fun performances whether you like them or not right uh and then on the oscar end we have i I would say three blander performances and three performers who i think are definitely i mean look i love jk simmons and i actually really liked him in the movie and I'm, i'm okay with the nomination on paper it just it just feels a lot less interesting than, say, a Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza would be. Uh, same goes, I think, for Jesse Plemons, who's someone who can do no wrong by my book. He is, again, he's one of those guys who, if you look at his, like, wins above replacement, uh, to use a baseball analogy, is always going to make your movie better. But again, I, you know, I, you'll find out one of the common themes for me on here is I'm not huge on Power of the Dog, but I don't think that he necessarily brought the goods to it by any means. Um, but again, it's, it's hard to argue with honoring him for always being serviceable. I actually thought he was as good, if not better, last year in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. But mm. again, so many other big performances in that movie, he kind of gets left on the sidelines. I almost would have liked to have seen him on the sidelines here uh, and made way for a Bradley Cooper. The other thing when it, we get to supporting role, male or female, that I am a stickler for and is a sword I will die on, is I want to get back to, and this is, this is you know, Separate from the fact that a lot of my favorite performances and actors have managed to get in and win in this category, I get it. But when it happens via category fraud, I'm not the biggest fan of it. So as much as I loved Viola Davis in Fences, I thought she was the Mm. best performance by anyone in any film, any gender that year. It's the lead. Brad Pitt is the co-lead in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Cody Smith McPhee to me is the lead of The Power of the Dog. And Mm. that's why I think he will win this award And you could argue maybe should win this award because it's category fraud, not because I think it's the best supporting performance. I'd love to get back to honoring a supporting performance. The best example of which here I would say is Bradley Cooper in Licorice Pizza comes in, throws a he throws one uh, 101 on the Mm -hmm. mound for an inning and a half and gets out. And I think he should be looked at as the Mariano Rivera this year. And I think he should get honored for a role like that. And in conjunction, we should use it as a vessel to get back to actually honoring supporting performances and not just co-leads in a different category. And I think, I, and again, the second movie I haven't seen, unfortunately, is Coda. I, I understand Troy Kotzer also a, more of a supporting performance as well. So maybe that happens here instead of Bradley Cooper. But either way, Cody Smith McPhee, I don't want to take anything away from him. I just think that the reason he's garnering so much support and so many votes here is because he gets so much screen time. He does well with it. I just think it's unfair to then give that person the statue when really, if that's what you're going to do, none of these other performances should stand a chance because you're essentially just awarding a lead in supporting. So if you had your choice, I mean, you're picking you're, you're picking uh, Cody Smith McPhee, but if you had your choice, you you personally would want to see Cooper win. 
Yeah, I would love to see Bradley Cooper win. And, and likewise, I would like to see similar style performances get nominated, if not win more. Because I gotcha. think that role in a movie of coming in and really just captivating the audience for the scenes you're in, getting in and getting out and supporting the screenplay and supporting the film but not dominating it is what this category is meant for. And I think that when you have a movie like Power of the Dog that to me is just as much about Cody Smith-McPhee's character as Benedict Cumberbatch's, and you put him in this category, yeah, it seems ridiculous to honor Bradley Cooper with nine minutes of screen time when you got a guy out there crushing 17 scenes out of 20. So... Mm. I get that it's you're almost making it impossible for us as voters to equate the two things, and that's what I think is unfair. You know, on the Oscars end, you know, Kieran Hines, I think that's a that's a supporting performance. I think it's great, you know, but I think when you're comparing it with a Cody Smith McPhee, it's going to be hard to put his name down on paper over Cody just because of how much of the movie is Cody. So I think he's going to win here. I think that's where the, the smart money is. But the one the one thing that I think. Um, maybe you could see is if the voters somehow collectively think like me and give Bradley Cooper the nod here instead, it's possible. Or Troy Kotzer, you know, also a very likable guy. Uh, what was the name of the actor last year in Sound of Metal? Paul Racy. Yeah. Paul Racy. Paul Racy walked so Troy Kotzer could run here potentially, I feel like. And yeah, I, I think love that. that. And I yeah. think that he may be, especially on the Oscars end, um, where younger performers tend to not, they get the nominee, they don't necessarily get the win. I would. I think Kotzer is also a smart play here as well. So I will say though, as a sprinkle, as your friend David would call it, twelve to one is pretty fun for Bradley Cooper, isn't it? Maybe for a ten spot. Yeah. You know, similarly to last year in the Golden Globes race, you know, uh, with uh, you know uh, R R Rosamund Pike, who ends mm -hmm. up winning for best <laughs> actress in a comedy. Uh, I end up look. I didn't put my house on it, and rightfully so. I wish I did because she ends up winning. But sometimes you wonder. You're like, hey, is all of a sudden this just going to click if everyone's watching Licorice Pizza at the right time? Time and that performance is so fun. Does Bradley Cooper get a win here? Because to the best of my knowledge, he has not really been honored as an actor once by a major body, to the best of my knowledge. Maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, no, I, th I think that's true. I mean, certainly not on the Academy level. As a, as a producer, he's gotten a lot of recognition. But yeah, not, as, not for his acting performances. Yeah, so again, I, I honestly think that I would never tell anyone to do anything other than Cody Smith-McPhee here. I just think it's too much of a category fraud uh, to avoid. However, Troy and Bradley Cooper are both fun plays. <laughs> This is fun, Mike, because like this is like head, heart, what your head wants, what your heart right, wants, and right. what another piece of the anatomy wants in terms that he just went with <laughs> the, the gambler. The other piece of the anatomy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who do you but, got, Mike? I, I, look, I, I think it's interesting. I, I also am going to pick Cody Smith-McPhee in prediction, but it's more just reading these odds. Like, There's nobody in the, any of these categories, I think, that has more momentum right now and has more endeared themselves to people who may not know who they were at the start than Troy Kotzer, so it kind of baffles me that he's still like, yeah, he's in second place in both the Oscars odds and the SAG odds, but he's still a pretty solid underdog when compared to what Cody Smith McPhee's odds are, which to me, just as somebody who has lost money for years <laughs> to me, suggests that Vegas knows something. And I, I'm never one to go against. I like, I try to listen to Vegas when they're trying to tell me something. So because Cody Smith McPhee is so entrenched, maybe it has to do exactly with what Scott says, because he's, he does have that category fraud kind of air about him. And we've seen these voting bodies not be scared to go in the direction of voting for the person or the nominee that has category fraud attached to them. Viola Davis being the most stunning example of the last five years or so. I, 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 I think those odds mean something with Cody Smith McPhee's name attached just because of how much Troy Kotzer has been somebody that's 
he should be the favorite. He should be at least a, a plus 150 or something. Like his odds should be cut in half to me. I don't understand why he's still such a long shot compared to what it seems like he should be at this point. So I'm going Cody Smith-McPhee just based on those odds alone. Now that said... I would absolutely love for any of the three non-Oscar-nominated people uh, in these in this category to end up winning. I mean, Bradley Cooper would be... I, I'm just a fan of mayhem. I mean, obviously, I would love Jared Leto. I don't think it's going to happen just because I don't think House of Gucci was treated well by the Academy in general. And I keep going back to that as my reasoning. But if you want to give me a Bradley Cooper, I would love it. If you want to give me Ben Affleck and a major upset, I would absolutely love it. But I'm also an agent of chaos, and I just love upheaval. So, But I, I think Cody Smith-McPhee is going to win as well. Well, I think this is also a fun one to look at on the 28th. I keep saying the 28th because the odds tend to they tend to take them down mm-hmm. like while SAG is airing and then they'll kind of mm-hmm. reassess and put them back up. But I think one of two things could happen. Clearly, one of them will. But I'm saying there's two ways to approach it, which is, you know, if Cody Smith McPhee wins here, he will be even more of a favorite for Oscar come on Monday. Right. But I do think that if that happens, bet Kotzer. Right, because Kotzer, in a sort of almost uh, Mark Rylance type way, can play "quote unquote" spoiler, but is it really even that? Right, um, and I think he it wouldn't necessarily be looked at as such, but odds wise, it would be. So I think if Cody wins here, it will solidify him as a favorite. The odds will get even better for Kotzer. Take Kotzer. The other way around, though, if Kotzer wins here, what will happen, Mike, is what you said. They will even out. Kotzer will have uh, shorter odds come Oscar, and then I would swoop in on McPhee. And yeah. I would take him because I think he then might become that added win for Power of the Dog if Power of the Dog is going to be this monster everyone thinks it's going to be. Hey, from where I sit, though, you know, if, if we show up and Power of the Dog gets blanked or only gets a couple, I'm, I'm with it. Because, again, I need to watch it again because so far I did not get it. So. That is not a movie that has translated well to at least casual. I mean, I you say nothing about like film Twitter. I know they're all up in arms over it. They think it's beautiful and the greatest thing since sliced bread. But casual movie viewers and the people at the Academy is trying to reach most. And I'm sure people in these voting bodies, like you're saying, you're a member of SAG yourself. I know that movie has not translated well with a lot of people. And just before anyone listening to this goes, the guy hosts a challenge podcast. Of course, he didn't <laughs> like Power of the Dog. I loved Belfast. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's not that a movie has to be, you know, Scream or Spider-Man or Speed 2 Cruise Control for me to like it. You know, even though my favorite movie of the 90s is Michael Bay's The Rock. I mean, my, my favorite films this year were Licorice Pizza, King Richard, Belfast, uh, Last Night in Soho, which got blanked. But, you know, it's in there. Dune, Pig. Pig is a very slow movie, right? Arguably mm-hmm. slower than Power of the Dog. So so yeah. I'm not necessarily someone who needs, you know, bells and whistles and action to be pleased. Power of the Dog for me was just like, I, I, I got early on, it was a slow burn. I could tell after six scenes of literally people just standing in a field that that's what we were getting. But I expected at least the turn or the payoff to be a little bit more. And again, the performances were fine. They were solid. Um, and I wonder if this is going to catch up to Oscar Sunday come, I do you know, what well. is it, yeah. March 27th, I believe. Um, I mean, it's a long road for a presumptive favorite that ultimately is boring. And we saw what happened to, and I don't think this movie's boring, but it was presumptive AF is 1917. And we saw what happened to Roma. And those movies are, to me, a hundred times better than The Power of the Dog. So I wonder, and that's why I keep going back to, and we're not going to talk about it much today because it's not well represented in SAG, I keep going back to, which I just saw the other day, um, West Side Story, because I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, you're, you're wondering who's going to be the spoiler for Power of the Dog mm-hmm. and what could gain momentum. And with all these movies out of the theater by now, right, 
what could gain momentum. I honestly think that hitting Disney Plus on March 3rd is no, that is no random happenstance. That is not coincidental. Uh, And I think that if West Side Story, which we keep going back to that terrible box office around Christmas, which was the height of, and I know, yes, Scream did well, and I know Spider-Man did well, but the kind of people who like West Side Story, hell, Broadway here shut down, right? So literally Broadway shut down because of Omicron. I don't think people who like Broadway musicals were running into movie theaters to see them in the middle of Omicron. So I do think that West Side Story could have a moment. We see Spielberg getting in over Villeneuve. Uh, I think that's the spoiler. Uh, if there's going to be one for uh, for Power of the Dog, I think it's West Side Story. I know we're probably not going to get to talking much about it because it's not well represented here, but want to go on record that uh, here on uh, February the 16th, if something's upsetting the dog, uh, it's going to mm. be the Berg. On record, there he, there he is. I'll have to go on record with my pick here, but I'm I'm with you guys. Like, I, you, your head is telling you Cody Smith McPhee. Your your heart is is yearning for a Troy Kotzer, perhaps. And yeah, the other anatom- part of the anatomy is like wanting to make a bet and place the wager. But you're also you're also calling for restraint in terms of the betting at this point with supporting actor, which is fascinating to me because. My co-host is never that way, and uh, yet you're nodding along with it here, Mike. So, all right, I'm going to go my heart for once because I've been waiting to and say Troy Concer, but I think this is a fascinating I hope you're right, Mike. I, I, I want, want you to be to right. Too bad. I've been or I want Scott to be right and have it be Bradley Cooper. Well, I've I'll say wait- there's yeah. two fun ways to quote-unquote bet SAG, right? So there's literally betting on SAG, which sadly is not the easiest thing to find, depending on mm-hmm. what you use or what service you, you use. Go I know sports yeah. betting and, and Oscars betting is becoming legal in states left and right, but even those sites or wherever you're using, sometimes SAG is a little niche for them. Yep. But mm-hmm. to me, the way to quote-unquote bet SAG is to bet Oscar right before SAG. So again, mm-hmm. I think an interesting play here is betting Kotzer for the Oscar before Sunday SAG or betting Cody for the Oscar after Sunday SAG, depending on how it plays out. Obviously, Cooper is someone you can only play on SAG Sunday, and it's 12 to 1, so if you want to sprinkle, that's the time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Uh, I will... uh... I will not talk to your bookie, Mike. Tony the Thumb, was it? Uh, and, <laughs> and place my concert bet just yet. But uh, th- no, that makes some good sense. Let's move on to male actor in a leading role. Let's talk through the SAG betting odds here. We have Will Smith as the favorite from King Richard, 4-11. to 11. Andrew Garfield in the challenger spot. Tick, tick, boom, 4-1. to one. Benedict Cumberbatch, shockingly, back from the field long from the power of the dog nine to one for me even though i was kind of low-key predicting him last week but we have denzel washington and javier bardem the sag five was the oscars five they are the long shots here even though denzel's not too long 12 to one and javier javier bardem is 18 to one uh the oscar betting odds are not the same will smith benedict cumberbatch those are the top two shortest with Garfield in third we do have a a crossover 78% in terms of the winners 21 out of 27 and we have 120 out of the last 135 SAG lead actor nominees getting Oscar noms so there's a huge crossover in this category guys I think we should jump right to the if then if Will Smith wins is he sweeping Scott I personally think that Will Smith is a lock to win the Oscar. Um, Mm -hmm. I would like to think that that means he's a lock to win the SAG. 
Um, I think that if he wins the SAG, which I'm also picking, that those Will Smith Oscars odds will get even longer. I mean, he's minus he's three to one right now, minus three hundred. Uh, if you if you're interested in making that kind of bet, which I that's probably like the cusp of where I'm like it's not worth it. But regardless, do it now uh, because mm. to me, by the end of this, Will Smith is going to be a Chadwick Boseman like favorite who actually will win. Um, in my opinion, no pun intended. Will Smith is so beloved; he's so great in this movie. And again, with in person stuff coming back. And with us having another month and a half, one thing that Will Smith and King Richard have not done yet, in my opinion, is overstayed their welcome. And this mm-hmm. might, this might, you know, we talked about speeches helping people with the Golden Globes. I also think that Will Smith becoming the boring, he's won five awards favorite by the time the Oscars rolling around. That hasn't happened yet, you know. Uh, by the time SAG happens and these other, you know, precursors and the Critics' Choice and things like that, sure, maybe that happens. But I le- I think that Will Smith is still a, a fun person to finally honor here. This great long career he's had. The movie's named after his character. It got the Best Picture nomination. I think he's going to take it. I know a lot of people are thinking and talking about Cumberbatch here. I just don't think... I mean, again, I think it's Cody Smith-McPhee's movie. I think Cumberbatch is almost supporting in that film, if you ask me. Uh, and I think, honestly, in supporting, Cumberbatch would probably win if it was flipped or whatever. So it, I, I do think that people are leaning towards Cumberbatch Batch as a second favorite here. In a weird way, I kind of agree with this, the way SAG odds have flipped it, that Garfield is kind of the more interesting spoiler play on both ends. Uh, however, he's getting it here in the second spot on SAG Sunday. I just don't think he'll actually win it. We have a mirror five and five here, so I think it's like a very easy thing to kind of look at these as, as you know, kind of the way they play out will be very similar. Um, and so I'm going Will Smith on, on both of them, and I think much deservedly so, and I just don't, I don't see that spoiler. There's no Anthony Hopkins uh, in this bunch, which um, I think if we all uh, had a different pair of glasses on last year, we should have saw coming. But I think we were all blinded by you yeah. know, how much we love Chadwick Boseman as a performer, how much it was fitting that he would get to be honored in this last possible moment to do so. And we forgot that, uh-oh, sucks. But in the same year, you had this potentially career-defining performance for a guy in his 80s who's mm-hmm. already potentially one of the best actors of all time, um, and that got in the way. I don't think we have that here to get in the way of Will, though. Yeah, I, st- I, I echo what you say in that nothing makes me feel dumber than doing this in like the Oscars 2020 retrospective <laughs> where it's like, of course that was going to ha- Yeah, I, I, I echo what you say there. I also think you made a great point. I wonder if the power of the dog, if Netflix can do it all over, if they would flip Smith McPhee and Benedict Cumberbatch because I think Cumberbatch would be even more of a slam dunk to win supporting actor. I mean, I know there's an argument to be made either way it's category fraud, but one of them had to be in the supporting field. So if you put Cumberbatch there, I wonder if he would uh, be a runaway in that category. That's a great point. Um, the third point of yours, I'm going to echo, uh, and why I'll be probably short on this category, because Scott hit a lot of my talking points as it is. Boy, that Andrew Garfield line smells. That I mean, that stinks. What You're going to tell me Cumberbatch <laughs> is more than twice as unlikely to win on SAG Sunday than Andrew Garfield? Why? What, what's the what's the rationale behind that, especially when you take into consideration where they both lock up, line up according to Vegas for Oscars? makes no sense whatsoever i wonder again if the odds makers the line makers are trying to say something with that but i will i do think this has been a year-long coronation for smith i'm going to stick with smith i do expect smith to win but just be aware that garfield line from a betting perspective that smells to high heaven for me yeah i wonder wonder why what why why like again we have no way of knowing this because no one's ever going to tell you why 
But is it as simple as maybe more money coming in on Garfield because of that? How would be my explanation. Is. That would be the expected explanation. Yeah. But again, if you compare it to the to the Oscars lines, what, so somebody's that heavily, much more heavily invested in SAG than they are in Oscars right now, that wouldn't make sense to me. Unless there's some kind of SAG nut, there's somebody in the in the uh, yeah. Screen Actors Guild who knows something. <laughs> you know, like it makes no sense. Yeah, Garfield is out there wheeling a deal, though. They just announced, uh, like I said, thankfully these uh, in-person stuff uh, is coming back, and uh, he's doing something here in New York in a week or two. Um, so he's out there, and I know that performance is very beloved. It is a movie about theater, you know, and mm-hmm. so I think it resonates uh, with the acting community maybe more so than it does with the overall academy. Could and be. I think, and I think maybe the performance of Power of the Dog down the ballot is sort of kind of benefiting everyone involved in it, Benedict Cumberbatch being the main one in their respective categories. Whereas here, since, you know, it's it doesn't kind of overshadow the other films per se, it didn't get an ensemble nomination. Does Andrew Garfield kind of move up a notch because it's a movie about acting, about theater, and Andrew Garfield as a performer is so beloved, and also in Spider-Man. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I, it is such a weird flip that you wonder just out of sheer chaos, as you put it, do you throw a little bit on Andrew Garfield just to see what that's all about, mm. right? What is that all about? Who knows something and do I want to know it with them? Yeah. <laughs> this is a category where I think you can have some fun playing the devil's advocate with the top three in a way. So I'm glad we did that with Garfield. Uh, I The only other thing I would add uh, to talk about Denzel and Javier Bardem is that, you know, they're former winners. I I wouldn't necessarily put them in the conversation with the top three necessarily. However, like Denzel coming off the BAFTA snub, the upteenth BAFTA snub, which boggles my mind. And as you said, Mike, the reason for which rhymes with schmacism, for Christ's sake. So I last, <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's no other way to, to think about it. Oh, BAFTA. I, I'm sorry. You guys need to, you know, widen the committee maybe for Christ's sake, but we have, we have maybe some snub power for Denzel. Otherwise I do think, I do think uh, I agree with you guys. Will Smith is my SAG prediction as well. We can move on to supporting uh, a, a female actor. I would say, Let's uh, let's talk about those lines. Ariana DeBose is the favorite for Oscar and for SAG. She's at one to four for SAG here. Kirsten Dunst, uh, six to one, Power of the Dog. Katrina Balfe, snubbed at the Oscars, nine to one. She'd probably be higher otherwise. Ruth Nega from Passing, 14 to one. Kate Blanchett, Nightmare Alley, 20 to one. And I wanted to make a you know point earlier about Nightmare Alley kind of peaking for Oscars, but not for SAG. And yet here she was for SAG. But uh, guys, we have Ariana DeBose as as the Globe winner, as the the betting favorite in both. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if she's just kind of looking at a sweep here, Daniel Kaluuya style in a way where last year nobody could touch him, uh, where – you know, I I don't I agree with you guys. I don't think Cody Smith McPhee is necessarily in that Kaluuya lane, but Ariana Debose might be Scott. Yeah, as I said, I just watched this, so it's very uh, top of mind for me. She's she's great in it for sure. Um, and I'm trying to analyze whether the fact that she's the lone representative here for the movie works for her or against her, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. she also is at least on the acting end on the Oscar side, but of course the movie got director and picture and, and a ton of other uh, below the line stuff as well. But I wonder if it's one of those things where we have in this category again, we talked about it earlier with supporting actor and with a couple of the actresses, you have 
three people here who are not up for Oscar. And I would say of the three of them, the only truly surprising one, I guess, was Katrina Balfi, uh, Ruth Nega, which I just watched that this this week too. I thought that was a very interesting movie. I thought she was great in it. I would put her second as far as surprising. And then Kate Blanchett, I think, probably garnered this nomination based more on name recognition, I think, uh, than anything, or maybe her having the twofer, this film, and Don't Look Up, both in the Best Picture race. Um, so mm-hmm. I wonder if this is a category where one of the three non-Oscar nominations potentially could get a win here, again, in the same vein as Gaga, um, kind of sticking up for them, and hey, we can finally honor this person. The one that I was baffled, uh, Balfied by uh, is Katrina for <laughs> Belfast not being nominated and getting replaced by Dame Judi Dench, who's in the same movie, is less interesting, has less screen time. Uh, that is just a classic Oscar kind of, you know, the way they see it and the way they, they view, you know, casting and, and the way yeah. they view nominations here. But so, I mean, I wonder if there's in, in some like revisionist history world is, you know, is Katrina a winner here and a potential, you know, spoiler at Oscar? Of course, she doesn't have the opportunity to do that. So I wonder if she could potentially squeak this one out to go back to Power of the Dog. Boring film to me, Kirsten Dunst, boring performance. Uh, so I don't love her there as a spoiler. If you're going to go off Debose, which I'm not necessarily recommending doing, I wonder if it's Balfi or Ruth Nega, who again, if you watch that movie and it was easy to do so because it's on Netflix, 14 to 1 is pretty fun, I think, yeah. for a sprinkle there. Um, and that movie, although it's definitely a supporting performance and I'm not knocking it as category fraud, it is very much about her character. Um And her character is basically, she's not the title character, but the title passing is very much referring to her and Mm -hmm. what her character is doing. So I think, you know, that's a perfect example of a supporting performance that does mean a lot to the film and is definitely, to me, easier to vote for to the average person than maybe a two-scener in Bradley Cooper. So, you know, I think if you want to have some fun here with Katrina or Ruth, I think they're almost more likely here in a weird way to spoil than one of the guys are in that other category. However, the Ariana DeBose train doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. Uh, I think this is her sort of coming out party here. Uh, she obviously you know, did great work on stage and in Hamilton. Uh, she hosted SNL recently. And I do think she has become sort of the the... Uh, the banner performance and banner performer for that movie. So on a night where this is the only way you can honor West Side Story, I think this is probably how SAG is going to do it, and I think she's probably going to take it here. But at one to four, it's not a fun thing to play. So um, I, I would pick DeBose here, as I'm sure you guys are. Yeah, Scott, you got to uh, you got to widen out your uh, podcast to doing Oscar punditry because you're great at this. You're 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 hitting again a lot of the points that I was I was planning on bringing up. But uh, one that that you didn't that I I will mention. And it goes back to something, Mike, you and I talked about already. Like, okay, I realize no favorite in any of these categories is like a heavy, overwhelming favorite for betting odds, at least of what we have for the SAGs. And I understand SAGs are difficult to bet as is, so it's probably tough to go by the money at this point. But I would still think that DeBose would be better than like a minus 250 or minus 400. Like, she would seem like more of a lock than that to me. (laughs) It's It's just weird to me. But I, again, like Scott, think that this is kind of a, a, a locomotion a locomotive that you can't stop the momentum of i would expect her to win i will pick her to win but yes you could if it's not going to be her you could have fun with anyone else uh, at least the second third and fourth place here at least dunce balf and nega i think you could have fun if you put a sprinkle on any of those odds it's a bummer 
that neither uh, Jesse Buckley nor Anjanou Ellis has that fifth spot and that Blanchett beat them out because I think that could be ripe for mayhem if one of those two were there and it could totally change the way we talk about this category leading into Oscar Sunday but Blanchett's here I don't expect Blanchett to pull off that big of an upset if you're looking for an upset I would go with either Dunst or Balf Nega would be awesome I don't expect it to happen um, but yeah I'm picking DeBose and again this is another one of those categories where you can look at it to bet this for SAG, or you can bet it for Oscar in the sense that if you do think someone other than DeBose is going to win here uh, on Saturday, that maybe on Monday that that strengthens, uh, you know, make makes someone who doesn't look like they have a chance on Oscar Sunday makes them a bigger favorite. So uh, it's mm-hmm. possible that, you know, Anjanou Ellis, uh, who you would love to be, have a bigger chance in this category, uh, is maybe vaulted by not even being here on the ballot, but by sure. anyone but DeBose here winning, I think does strengthen some of those other contenders for Oscar Sunday. That being said, though, the way I would play it is that if DeBose somehow doesn't win here, her odds might decrease a little bit come Monday, and then I would hammer DeBose uh, mm-hmm. is what I would do if one of these other performers wins that's what i would do because i do think again that march 3rd date disney plus west side story i'm looking at it i think west side story is going to almost feel like it had a theatrical run in the two three weeks leading up to the oscars because essentially that's what theaters are these days like to, to me disney plus you know with boba fett or you know whatever the marvel you know show of the season is it feels like we're all going to the theater and watching them within three days of each other, right? Mm-hmm. In the mm-hmm. same way that, hey, if you haven't seen Scream by the next Tuesday, then you know, good luck us not spoiling it for you, right? Right. That's how these these Disney Plus shows feel. They feel like theatrical releases. They don't feel like being on Netflix and watch it when you get to it, right? You notice that like there's a difference between like a bingeable series on Netflix or whatever and these shows that roll out weekly on Disney Plus. So I think that when West Side Story hits Disney Plus, a lot of people are going to see it. A lot of momentum will be put behind the film, potentially even Spielberg. A lot of those below the line categories and all. Also, Ariana DeBose here, I think, will be cemented as the favorite, if not already come SAG. But if someone manages to squeak by her here, I wouldn't read too much into it. And I would use it to your betting advantage on Monday the 28th if you can. So if not DeBose now, DeBose later, which is intriguing from a better's perspective. I'm, If I'm putting money down, I'm putting it on DeBose now because I do think it's tailor-made for her to, to take off as that sweeper because she is the one without a blemish down the uh, down the precursor card uh Kirsten Dunst almost has to win here uh if she's going to get it because we haven't seen her necessarily take all the critics awards so it's it's not something you can forecast for Kirsten Dunst at the critics choice and she's not at BAFTA so you're you're right i think a a win for somebody else is just a win for the gambler wanting to bet Debose anyway so this is this is a a gambling category if there ever was one i would say right now i would put money on Debose but you, you guys uh you guys have me my interest peaked on the, on supporting actor uh, female supporting actor that is yeah she actually it looks like she's more of a favorite to win the sag than she is the oscar currently so you're totally right mm-hmm. there i would again if if three to one if minus 300 is in your betting range i would take it now for debose uh if that makes you happy or maybe throw it in a parlay or something like that because i do think she will probably look like that uh that favorite going into it you gotta pay a heavy vig to put to, to ride that train though you gotta pay a heavy vig to uh 
you better hope. I mean, if you're playing it now, I agree with both of you. Play it now, but if you're, you, you got to pray that it doesn't get an upset time come Oscar, uh, come Sag Sunday. Yeah, minus three hundred is not terrible. When you look at what some of these Oscars favorites end up at, when you look at like what what a, uh, I mean, what you could have had Kaluuya at around the mm-hmm. Globes, which again this year the Globes have sort of been negated. Right there's, it's almost like we don't the Globes bump hasn't really hit yet. Like these odds kind of look like they would look pre Globes win. I think because just the Globes didn't air. And again, it might be because they didn't air that the bets are not coming in based on those, right? Like people are still kind of lying in wait because they're like, did the Globes happen? I forget. But when you look at what Kaluuya wound up at and sadly what Chadwick Boseman wound up at, even though he didn't win, those are unbettable odds by the end of it, you know? So if you want to get in on DeBose, now I think is probably the time uh, because now that I'm thinking about it out loud, I don't even know how much like a Balfi win would would change it from three to one. I don't think you're mm-hmm, getting mm-hmm. better than than three to one on Debose by the time Oscar season runs around. Because unless Dunst, if Dunst wins, you might see them flip. That's possible. But other than that, I I think Debose is probably three to one's the best you're going to get. So yeah. you're probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. Dunst has that trio of big Oscar scenes, a traditional supporting actress Oscar winner, I would say, at least on paper. DeBose, though, just brings that other singing and dancing element that we haven't had in a while. Uh, and she could just set herself apart, in my opinion, because her acting is that good as well. And when you don't have a lot of, you know, huge names, I would say, uh, in the category, the movie star kind of thing. You know, it, it may not necessarily be be hard to cast your vote in her way because of like you're saying, it could be uh, a Disney plus thing where West Side Story, which did not play well at the box office, starts to play well in everybody's homes and, and in everybody's faces again, which does matter. Uh, it's been a calling card of ours for a while. So, yeah, I, I also think it's you know as much as you know we don't give Oscar as much credit as some. I, I always say that we if we do end up talking about TV a little bit, it happens more in in TV. And you saw recently with Zendaya winning the Emmy, like with with these mm. yearly cyclical award shows, uh, the Globes or SAG or or the Emmys will every once in a while try to be the first awards body to honor an up and coming performer or the big hot new fresh face. Um, and often sometimes they will do it almost a season early to make sure that they're the ones to do it first and that the way some of these cycles work and when seasons drop, by the time it rolls around to the next one, it's almost like, eh, do we want to be like the fourth awards body to honor Jeremy Strong? Nah, eh, give it right. to Kieran, you know? And Fatigue, so, yeah. And so with Ariana DeBose, I think she's kind of the, the perfect age uh, and style of performer here, you know, young, fresh, exciting. To, to highlight and to be able to kind of anoint, but because the delivery system is such an old Hollywood, I mean, this this it's literally a remake of a movie that won Best Picture, starring an actress who won the award for it in a different role, and now we get to sort of give her the Oscar for playing that same role that Rita Moreno played. It's directed by Steven Spielberg, so even though Ariana DeBose is, you know, new, fresh, young talent, and it's great to give her the award. You're doing it in this delivery system that is very much old Hollywood and very much kind of like an easy pill to swallow for this large voting body that maybe can't voting body that can't get out of their own way. So I feel like this is when we're going to see it, you know? Timothy Chalamet in a movie like Call Me By Your Name, that might be too much, you know? But I think... Ariana DeBose, but in West Side Story, 
boom, I think we're going to see it here. And, you know, in one, if not two of the categories, if you give it to McPhee, we are going to see some some young Hollywood get some statues here at an award show where typically you don't see it very much. Well, the reason you would pick against uh, Cumberbatch, McPhee, Dunst, etc., is that while they are all uh, nominated individually in the acting, they don't make the ensemble category for Power of the Dog. It's not here for the SAG-5. The outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture, the SAG-5 here, are represented by Belfast, which is 8 to 11. That's the leader in the category. Coda, 5 to 2 odds are plus 250. Don't Look Up is plus 500. House of Gucci is 16 to 1 to plus 1600. And King Richard is in fifth place at plus 2000 or 20 to 1 odds. Michael? I think a sprinkle, if ever was it was necessary, could be necessary here for King Richard. But I I'm wondering if all about, three of us are going to feel that exact same way. But go ahead. I kind of want to talk about the dichotomy of the the top and the bottom of this uh, betting odds. Let's start with Belfast. It's considered by some, Scott Feinberg most notably, to be the best picture favorite. Otherwise, I would say most people out there are pinning. Uh, the favoritism on the power of the dog because of its 12 nominations at Oscar. So there is this too boring current with power of the dog that just popped up kind of lately, even though it's always been boring. I don't know what they're watching uh, back in <laughs> November, but it was, it was kind of a slow burn back. Anyway, Belfast is the betting favorite here. If it wins SAG Ensemble, is there going to be an overreaction, an overcorrection, bringing Belfast back into the fray as like the seize the moment best picture frontrunner, Scott? Or do you think it's just, okay, the power of the dog wasn't here? You know, what's interesting is I just saw Belfast. I really liked it. One of the things I loved the most about it was its runtime. I think it's like an hour and 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I, I just looked it up for comparison because I was like, and Power of the Dog's like three hours. No, Power of the Dog's only two hours and five minutes. It just feels like an eternity. <laughs> and to me, I think that says a lot uh, about both films. But I think Belfast peaked too early uh, narrative-wise. I think it got kind of penciled in early on uh, in the sort of awards chatter as a presumptive presumptive favorite and people started kind of watching it with that in mind and because it's a shorter film because it doesn't do so much because it kind of it's almost like it's hard not to compare it to Roma being a director sort of you know uh a tale from his own youth and uh you know some riot scenes and whatnot but it doesn't have that like you know fourth or fifth gear that Roma has with like the the pregnancy scene and and so I feel like Belfast kind of people see it and they're a little bit underwhelmed and I think that's kind of the, the part of the cycle we're in with Belfast. And I wonder if now all the fatigue about power of the dog, if Belfast gets a couple precursor wins here, if it can go back into that position and maybe people who watch it on the screen or who watch it late can say, oh, this is a really enjoyable hour and 38 minute movie. It's delightful. All the performances are great. The one thing I want to say about SAG ensemble performance, uh, which is one of my favorite categories, I wish there were more categories like this that were sort of exclusive to SAG. Um, you know, I wish that they would, you know, we have a, a stunt performers category that the other uh, awards bodies don't necessarily have, but I wish they would add like a voice, you know, best voice uh, performance or mocap performance and things like yeah. that. But the yeah. one thing about ensemble that I feel like we never correctly hit, and we kind of often with these, with if you look at the nominees, it's split. To me, SAG Ensemble, uh, outstanding performance by an ensemble and a cast, should not be who had the most other nominees in their movie. So, again, you look at Power of the Dog here, who have three people up for individual awards, and if you add Plemons for the Oscar, they have four, yet they're not here for ensemble. I think that's great because it's a very top-heavy movie. 
Don't Look Up, which I know is a very polarizing movie, however, I think is the perfect example of an ensemble, right? It's a movie that is top to bottom, loaded with superstars coming in for three scene heaters, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that that it's to me, and like Parasite is the perfect example, right? Because it's a great film. None of the actors individually were Mm -hmm. honored, Mm -hmm. although I feel like that was a mistake. But when you look at the movie and you try to pinpoint, was there one performance that makes this movie? No, it is the collective efforts. It is the ensemble. Same goes, I think, for a Black Panther. You know, I think uh, there was another year where Hidden Figures won, which I think is a very uh, kind of caught people off guard. But if you think about it, you know, the ensemble nature of of the movie I think is is what you're honoring there. I wish that this category wouldn't necessarily be a mirror image of what movies got the most individual nominations. And I think Belfast did, uh, and I think Power of the Dog didn't. So Belfast here, although it's the favorite, I don't necessarily go to a Belfast here to honor it. I think... Uh, you know, King Richard would be a great movie to honor here because I think the performances by the two daughters, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you have some great supporting performances in King Richard here, but I think it's mm-hmm. been sort of anointed as this one performance movie in Will Smith that people kind of forget about that. Um, I wonder though, the movie, if it does reap the benefits of everything I'm talking about here, is it Coda? And so does Coda come in here? And is this the way that Coda gets honored? If not on the Kotzer end, if here, if Coda, and again, I haven't even seen it yet, but just everything I hear about it, it's such a casting achievement and it's such a great film carried by atypical performers on an awards end. Does Coda win here? And is that an ultimate feel-good story here with the ensemble trophy? Which again, I think SAG has done a really good job, at least since I've been following it closely, having that ensemble be a very a feel-good uh, win. I'm just trying to debate which direction I want to go. I mean, again, Scott, I think you're doing a great job of breaking this down, and I, I you're hitting a lot of amazing points that I also I just abide by, and I want to echo. I, I agree, Mike and Scott, that King Richard should be better than 20 to 1, and I would love to see, I mean, if you can get it at 20 to 1, if you want to bet on it, I would absolutely do so, especially if you believe in the notion that it has more than one acting performance that's worthy of a claim like scott just made the point of and I, I think the title I I the title almost gets in its way here right because yeah. it's like the movie might as well be called will smith right right it's yeah i mean as King much as Richard. that helps will smith's campaign is it hurting ingenue ellis's at the same time yeah i absolutely yeah, agree. and I mean, especially on an ensemble on an ensemble level and you don't see ingenue ellis here uh but she is obviously very beloved performance in the year but the, the movie is literally called king richard uh, mm-hmm. You wonder, is that, you know what I mean? Like, if, if Belfast was called, I don't know, whatever the lead character's name in Belfast is, would that be working against it? Uh, it's very superficial, but it just doesn't feel like it should be in position five here, and it is. So I wonder yeah, if that's I, it. I, I mean, I don't understand. I would expect it to be above House of Gucci, honestly. The fact that House of Gucci isn't fifth. And the fact that Don't Look Up is so inside 10 to 1 is surprising to me, but it also makes sense if you believe that most SAG voters are going to approach this like Scott just suggested, and it's going to be a true ensemble vote. And like he said, I mean, yeah, there's there's stars all up and down that. And if you believe in this ultra progressive cause that, you know, if you think how this this progressive liberalism is the ideal, well, that's I mean, find me a more progressive liberal speaking movie this year than don't look up. I don't know that you can. I, I think voting Belfast is, you know, I mean, I'm going to say it's boring. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I It's inoffensive and it's a charming movie. And this is a back and forth, Mike, you and I have had all year like. I know you love that movie, I, and Scott, I, I, I hear you say you love that movie too, but to me, I just think it's, I can't be convinced we don't get one Belfast every other year. 
Like, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't this disagree. is. Yeah, it's a very Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn yeah, is an example that we got, right? Yeah, this to me. Yeah, it, okay. So I like Belfast a lot, and it's in my top ten towards the back half. But again, it, I had been told, "Oh, you're going to be so annoyed that people love this movie," and I thought it was fine, you know. And so I it's think fine. That it's a the, charming. It's a perfectly fine movie. That's how I have described it. It's yeah. good. It's a and, good watch. And I will say, ensemble wise, I disagree with the assessment here. Unless you're going to do, unless you're viewing it in the way that I think, again, fifty percent of the time. And this is how it's viewed is do you have three or four, you know, award caliber performances mm-hmm. in your movie? And it's interesting here that say Power of the Dog doesn't get that rub, but Belfast does. Right. I mean, look, you honored Kieran Hines here. He's up for is he up here for the supporting actor, Kieran Hines? Oh no, he just uh Katrina for Oh uh, Katrina for, is here. Uh okay, yeah, cool. It's so, a lot of variance uh between the award shows. So you're right. Like Kieran Kieran shows up elsewhere, but but not not here. For and some Jamie reason. Dornan, who a lot of people loved, I actually think he would have been a great person to nominate here. I think he's very charismatic in the movie. But again, to me, it's it's four performance. And the kid is great. Okay, so it's five. You know, I, to me, I do think as much as it's a very polarizing movie, you know, Don't Look Up is an ensemble. You know, and it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Jonah Hill and Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry and Mark Rylance and Leonardo DiCaprio all doing not quite enough to get nominated on their own here, but still being those actors in a film where they're okay only doing what they're doing. So Don't Look Up is a, you know, out of these five movies here, what's interesting is that four of them are Best Picture nominees, House of Gucci being the only one that's not. And ironically so, I also agree with House of Gucci, even though it did get Leto and Gaga (laughs) here, as being a good movie to highlight as an ensemble. You've got, you know, Jeremy Irons and Al Pacino Mm -hmm. and say what you will about their performances maybe being a bit campy and whatnot, but like Adam Driver, it's like, to me, I almost wish that I almost wish that by being nominated for, you know, too many individual acting nominations or best picture, you should be like disqualified from this. Like, I, I think that it should almost be a category that interestingly, you know, highlights performances, seven, eight, nine, 10 and 12. I think that licorice pizza would have been a great nominee here, especially you've got Bradley Cooper up there and supporting actor for being in two scenes. So, you know, I think that this is a category that I love, but I almost wish it was viewed differently. And it's, and it's almost hard to like tell voters and nominate committees how to view a category but i almost feel like there might be a way to shape the explanation of the category to where it doesn't sort of get split down the middle because what you end up getting is like true ensembles and then top heavy casts just getting kind of re-honored on a double level and then you're comparing apples to oranges here and like what do you do it's like well yeah this movie contains two of the best performances of the year but this movie has you know eight of the best 50 you know what I mean? Well, uh, I think it's that very reason that the you know the SAG body and whole. I, I think they like that. I think the Academy likes that idea. I think they like not having these you know stringent guidelines on how to vote these things because it causes conversations like this. And I think they like the controversy and they like the conversation that comes out of it. You know yeah, what I mean? Like I, no, definitely. I, yeah. it, it keeps people talking. It keeps it keeps people on. It keeps this on the front of people's minds. But I will um, say this, one mistake we make is we yep. keep using trying to use this as a precursor for best picture, which like it is it is not exactly. that right and right and almost you know, it, it almost gets like when when movies are nominated in both categories, it's hard not to do so and use it as a point of momentum. But it's it's this weird thing where like the movie is what gets honored, and that's the only thing they have in common because 
the the category of best picture is about the film. The person who accepts mm-hmm. the award most of the time is a producer we don't even recognize, right? And right. like on this end, it is now it is the collection of performances, many of which sometimes aren't even nominated. So it's one of those things where we look at it as, as this best picture precursor, and I almost like I I don't think it, they have anything to do with each other whatsoever. Occasionally, you'd get the the parasite example, which I thought was a great one, and I almost you know mm-hmm. you know was. You know, as someone who voted for Parasite that year, and it was my favorite movie, not just of that year, potentially ever, you know, without recency bias playing a part of it. Like, I, I tell people all the time when they go, should I see this Parasite? I go, it's literally maybe the best movie I've ever seen. So the fact that SAG got it right. You and hear then, that, Mike? And then I'm, Oscar I'm, got I'm, it I'm right. trying so hard to bite my tongue about all I was, so I, I, was the, I was the one person who did who wasn't enthralled with Parasite. It's a good movie. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I, 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 I could do another two hours on why you're an idiot for that. But <laughs> yeah, I know. But, I know. But Every guest we have have on has the same take and i'm 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 too arrogant and like i've convinced myself that i'm right and everyone else is dumb so i get it that was the one time where i do think you could have maybe looked at that as a precursor and given you a little bit of you know and i i will say i made a fair amount of money on parasite at the oscars that year um nice but other than that i almost think this has no like if Belfast wins here, if Don't Look Up wins here, if King Richard wins here, I wouldn't. I wouldn't then go and throw some coin on them for the Oscar. I really wouldn't. I would agree um, with you for everything but King Richard. Okay, if King Richard is able to, to to pull off an upset and like win this category, especially at being in the fifth place because of the that. If you take that win in combination with some of the surprise noms that ended up landing itself on nomination a day uh, last week or the week before, like there's. A momentum that's starting to form behind King Richard because now you can talk yourself into well now it's already got the SAG ensemble and it's probably going to have Will Smith on top of it. Anjanu Ellis did make a couple big precursor voting field. Like I can see that narrative forming in people's minds and actually being people getting swept up in it. But everything else, I agree with you. I don't know how much of an impact Belfast winning or even Coda winning, Don't Look Up winning. I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have on the Best Picture race overall. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, Coda actually is another interesting one. It, well, here's what I'll say is that one thing that will happen for sure is it will affect the odds, I think, for those movies. Yes. But on a superficial level, like I think a lot of, you know, not so smartish money will come in thinking of this as a precursor mm-hmm. and thus the odds will shift. But I think that's when almost you might be able to sw- like like what will be interesting to see is although it will definitely shift their odds. Does Vegas say we're going to make it easier for you to make money on Power of the Dog because of it? Because if those don't move, then then you know, right? It's like, okay, hey, we'll take your money on King Richard. We'll take your money on Coda. We'll make we'll, – in the off chance that those movies win, we'll make it so you win less money. But we still are not going to make it easier on you to cash in on Power of the Dog. So um, – I think interesting. It's almost enough, like West Side Story not being here. Like if West Side Story was here, you could at least see the hierarchy between Belfast and West Side Story, and then you can have Vegas adjust those, one of those two lines depending on who wins against Power of the Dog. But yeah. because both Power of the Dog and West Side Story miss, we're just—it's a lack of information as to what's going to happen. Well, it goes back to my prediction about West Side Story potentially being the spoiler for Power of the Dog, right? And something that comes with it, I think, is a little bit of optimism in the sense that I'm kind of—it's wishful thinking in that, you know. Now, it's—is it up for PGA uh, uh, West Side Story? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So you know, there are precursors it could win that could change this, but. On SAG Sunday, at least, there's not much that's going to make it stand out as that uh, as that spoiler, you know. And again, I'm putting a lot of stock into that Disney Plus release. I would equally, of course, as as Vegas would, put stock into a PGA win or something of that nature. Um, but my my point is is that what I like about 
West Side Story is, is that it might not be easy to see coming and thus you might be able to still get pretty good value even leading up to Oscar Sunday while it still could potentially sneak in there and be a spoiler. Whereas some of these, if if they win this, if Belfast wins this, odds are going to shift in its favor uh, or actually the way you look at it against your favor betting on Belfast. So, um, yeah. And I'm actually surprised, honestly, that West Side Story is not nominated uh, in a category Mm. like this, because although it's not all like, you know, Viola Davis and Fences type performance, like just like collectively, it is an ensemble. I mean, the entire thing is just, you know, a big musical and everyone working together and this and that. And so I know everything's kind of been pinned onto one and two performances here. But I, I think that would have been an interesting movie to have here in the five. And I think maybe its omission is probably some, is a reason somebody might hit me over the head and say, Scott, what are you thinking? Predicting it as a uh, spoiler. But uh, it's an interesting omission here, to say the least. Well, it's in the top three right now in Vegas odds in terms of best picture odds they have. So you're definitely on to something, at least. Um, I, I, I Again, I'm just... I'm going to pick Coda just because I'm bored by picking Belfast. It's a, and that's a bad reason, and I understand that. But like, if you want to talk yourself into I'm voting for something that makes me feel good and I'm going for the feel-good narrative to have SAG Sunday like be this fun celebration, I think Coda outweighs the joy that something like Belfast can give you anyway. I mean, if you see Troy Kotzer winning, you see Coda's up on the, the, the ensemble of Coda's up on the stage at the end of the night, I think that makes you feel better than if, you know, if Belfast is up there too. I, that's a weak reasoning. That means nothing to anyone. I understand that, but I think you're kind of splitting hairs at this point anyway. The most fun you could have betting, I think, is if you put something on Don't Look Up or King Richard. But I'm I, Belfast bores me to pick it as a winner, so I'm going to pick Coda just because I like to see Troy Kotzer do well. Yeah, I, I'm going with Coda for the same rationale. Sorry, I, I've been laying back. You guys have just been having this beautiful uh, tête-à-tête for the, the the longest time. It's just been wonderful, uh, it, encapsulating all of my thoughts, so I don't need to speak. So this is this is wonderful. <laughs> but Coda, yeah, Coda is just something I've been waiting to pounce on, and I'm going to continue the theme of of my episode, going with concert, going with Coda. Uh, I think it fits your ensemble narrative. I think it fits your his, history making narrative for. Sag uh, there, Scott, and yeah, I think I think we're all on that same page. I, I do, I do like this category almost most of all because of how intriguing it is to bet, and because of you know all of the uh, misperceptions about it amongst film Twitter. But here's the thing about film Twitter and about the the discourse in general: like what happens at Sag could have you know compounding implications down the line by accident in a way and and i think parasite is a different situation because it was coming through the international film path and that was its first you know parade on on this shore almost like the beatles coming to the you know back when coming to the coming to the u.s shores uh and making the impact so it's 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 a it was a unique experience with parasite coda is probably this is its chance to have that big celebration and i think sag might might take it but i like in terms of my punditry, I'm saying it should be King Richard, just based on how I would do the tail of the tape of the category in terms of those performances. Sonia Sidney, Demi Singleton, the kid performances are next level and unusually good for, from from them on top of two powerhouse performances with uh, with Will Smith and Ingenue Ellis. And then you have the whole ensemble with the John Barenthal's, et cetera, et cetera, that just round it out and make it so special. But I think Coda is is got that, and it's got the history, and, and and it's got the narrative. And I've always said, if it's in it, it's could it could win it. 
whether it's at Oscars or here. And uh, yeah, I'm going with that. So thank you guys for this conversation. And I'm, I'm glad we had the big one for this category because I didn't write as much for this category. Well, and it's interesting. I just listened to Bill Simmons, uh, the sports guy, but also, you know, someone who loves Oscars and theorizing about this stuff. And he he occasionally goes out on a limb and sometimes he's just completely off. But he actually picked Coda to win uh, the Oscar for Best Picture. And he thinks Coda (laughs) was, uh, if not the most interesting movie of the year or the best movie of the year, one that he thinks will uh, take hold here down the stretch. So this could be that first uh, that first move for it. And I do think Besides Kotzer, you know, this is its its big representation here on the ensemble stage. And, you know, I, I do. It's inter- so interesting. Belfast is the favorite. And I'm almost like I'm almost most convinced that Belfast won't win out of the three of them. <laughs> like, I think if you told me to take either Belfast or Coda and King Richard, I would take Coda and King Richard. Um, and then, of course, if hey, if the voting body thinks like uh, who, we want ratings, you would probably put Gucci or don't look up up there just so you could look at all those famous people. But um I don't know that that's going to happen. So I'm with you guys on Coda. I think uh, Coda is a nice win here. And I think whether it leads to anything further on Oscar Sunday or not, uh, it will be a nice feather in the cap for that movie that uh, I think hopefully the SAG voting body has seen uh, since it's been uh, sent out and everything like that. I know it's sort of a slow burn. I know that a lot of film pundits had seen it early Sundance and everything like that. And they kind of had to come around here without like a big theatrical release. It's been streaming for the most of its uh, run here. But I do think that, um, and again, sadly, it is the only the second movie that we've spoken of that I truly cannot speak uh, of with personal experience because I have not seen it yet. But everything I've just heard about it is that it's the type of movie that wins this SAG Ensemble Award, as is King Richard. But um, So I, I would not be shocked if one of them ended up pulling it out. And the odds say that's a play, so I would have a little bit of fun with it if you want. Maybe 20 on each of them or something. Your lips to God's ears again, Sky. I think uh, it's it's kind of funny having you on. I mean, we knew that we were getting along in the DMs for a reason, but like hearing this now and like all three of us agreeing on the same odds, it means we all should either bet together or just stay the hell away from everything together. I'm not sure which yet, but it's definitely one of those two. And I guess when uh, when SAG Sunday comes around, we'll find out for sure. We can talk about the final movie category here: outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture. No Time to Die is the leader, five to six odds. Dune is plus one fifty. Shang Chi: The Legend of the Ten Rings. At eight to one, Black Widow is fourteen to one, and Matrix Resurrections is pulling in the back end here at eighteen to one. I just picture Bradley Cooper's face at the end of most of his movies. I won't spoil them, but yeah, this year's Nightmare Alley too. That face when you guys bet this category, actually talk to your bookie and bet this category. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest. I've never seen this category listed. Um, I can't <laughs> pretend to to know about it. And what's interesting is this year, I mean, it's all big franchise movies. I mean, as, as it is most years, but it's, you know, uh, this year you wonder, I, I would say um, if I had to make a pick here, it would be between Dune and Shang-Chi. Mm. I think uh, Shang-Chi just because, you know, I think it has the Marvel going for it. Um, it has the hand-to-hand combat thing going for it. Um, more practical, I think, a little bit than Dune might be. But I do think Dune has the prestige of being the lone, not even just Best Picture nominee. It's the only one almost getting any consideration outside mm-hmm. of an award like this, besides No Time for D- to Die getting the, the song award there. So I would go between those two. Uh, no Time to Die is the favorite. I just, uh, for some reason, I just don't see it as, as taking it down here. But again, this is such a weird, uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't even pretend to be able to uh 
to give actual <laughs> advice here. Uh, so I will say because it's so much of a more interesting odds to bet, uh, eight to one for uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings here uh, seems like the way to go. But, uh, you know, don't sleep on Dune. Uh, this would be the only way Dune gets honored here on this SAG stage because, of course, it's this movie that apparently did not have actors yet got ten. Uh, I, it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting. The, the or a director, we, according to most voting bodies. Is yeah. it, isn't it so weird sometimes when you get these, like, technical Marvel, like, you know, Mad Max Fury Road is another example where it's almost like everyone agrees with impunity. Let's just not not even pretend that any of these performances were even a little bit good. Like, like it's almost as if you get these movies that go, you know, 10 for 10 on the tech awards, whatever. And you never even hear one person go, but what about Charlize? Maybe we get her in there. And like, yeah, it's we agree. Pretend no one was in it. Pretend it was only Sand Snakes because I thought there were some good performances in Dune. Like nobody's even like mentioned like, hey, maybe a little Oscar Isaac love. Hey, Chalamet is good. None of it. Like it, let's just Ferguson. Pre- yeah, no, Rebecca Ferguson. Someone. Uh, and and it's 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 uh, it's so funny how once we look at a movie as being like a technical only movie, it is like we agree. Do not even mention that anyone should even be thought about. Yeah, and you could extrapolate that out to to. I'm, it's the problem I've had with with why Villeneuve is being ignored by all these major categories. I don't under like who do they it, okay if it is this technical marvel who does everyone think was putting these technical pieces in place to have this film be coherent? Maybe the guy that directed, wrote the film, edited it, like and did all these things. No, of course not. He, he doesn't get consideration. It makes no sense to me. I, I'm with you. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I would I, again again if you want to bet this, which I I would not, I would go Shang Chi, but uh, <laughs> but Dune Dune seems to make sense. Well, I'm going to go with Shang-Chi as a winner. Yeah. Uh, Shang-Chi, excuse me. Yeah, we're all saying it wrong. But I think, I oh. think Shang-Chi Sorry, has the best stunts in any of these movies. And I think the the, the you know the Academy uh, or the Guild could, could recognize as much. I mean, Dune, I mean, guys are just what? They're on zip lines and they're coming down. They got the fighting that is just like almost Mac and... And what was the one where I just watched the episode with Sean William Scott, Country Mac, them fake fighting. <laughs> it's not, it's just Mac and Country Mac fighting. You it's knew not once real. we got to the stunt category at the SAGs, we'd have our first Always Sunny reference of the episode. So that's, I'm had glad to do it. Yeah. Had to do it. So to me, it should be between like Black Widow and Shang-Chi, even though Dune, I think, has a visual effects comparison. And this is why the visual effects comparison between stunt ensemble and, and the VFX Oscar is very thin and the crossover is terrible because they're totally different categories for that reason practical effects can carry over sometimes in the same movies but to me this is all about fight choreography and unless there's a vote share between those back three shang chi black widow and matrix resurrections you i think you're right in saying that dune's name recognition could win it here they want to award dune for something that's that's also a strong pull but if they're actually voting the category Shang Chi is 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 my pick. I mean, Bond does not. He he can't fight the same way he used to fight necessarily. I know he's jumping from a bridge. But. I, I want to pick Shang Chi, but if I'm in my mind, I'm like, if I'm voting for, if I'm a SAG voter, if I'm going to vote for Shang Chi, why wouldn't I vote for Black Widow? Well, that's the the vote sharing angle. But Shang Chi is next level with that bus stuff. I mean, that is like a third. That sequence is crazy, and then the the scaffolding sequence is also nuts. I just thought that was that was Black Widow times five in terms of the quantity of hand-to-hand combat. That's just where I'm at. But I, I'm making the case for Shang-Chi, but I'm, I'm, I shouldn't probably have to do that if I'm going to pick it based on merit. But I, I have to do it. I'm going to follow the narrative of it's the only opportunity to award Dune, and Dune's the best picture. It's something that could be a best picture player at some point. Uh, 
I'll take Dune. I'm not happy about it, but yeah, uh, this is something I can't even justify betting on, but I probably will find a way to anyway, because I'm a degenerate. Uh, do we want to talk anything about uh, TV here, Mike? Well, let's just put a, uh, your cherry on the Sunday and thank you so much, Scott, for, for such an yes, awesome episode. You've been, you've been amazing. Thank you, guys. This no, has been a great this is, flow. This has been great. And wh- while we're on the stunt category, I got to say, it's one that I think, you know, I, I love that SAG has it. Uh, and again, it's one that I cannot claim to know anything about. And I think part of the reason is, is because only SAG has it. We don't really talk about it year round, right? Like, you know, we all, by the end of March, we're all like sound design experts because they've had it on the ballot for so long for the Oscars. <laughs> Whereas, you know, stunt ensemble, we don't even necessarily, as we just discussed, understand what goes into, oh, are we talking about the fights? Are we talking about the effects? What is it? Um, so I think that this would be a great category to bring to other award shows. And I think that would add to value to the category here. And as I said before, I think there's room, I think, to add interesting categories on the performance end to the SAG ballot that I think would bring more eyeballs to SAG. Hey, guys, animation, you know, is the kids. You're telling me the kids aren't showing up to see if John Leguizamo wins for Bruno? Like, let's get, I mean, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a a voice actor. There are so many great performances that get held back because you don't see the person literally on screen or like Brolin as Thanos. Like, come on. Like, like, I I just think that mocap is in this category of, we always used to joke, oh, is Andy Serkis finally going to get nominated? And like, it never actually happens because it doesn't have its own lane and I think SAG Mm. should give it its lane and it'd be such a fun thing to be able to bring a lot of eyeballs to a to a show where it'd be the only place you can award those kinds of performances the off-screen performances the vocal performances things like that Um, and I think that the stunt ensemble uh, category which you don't really see anywhere else is a sign that maybe SAG could think outside the box and uh, and go that route I've never heard any rumblings of it but um, I'm stumping for it here stooping for it here I want more squid game from award season and by that I mean I want more categories at the precursor award shows to filter down March Madness style bracket style into the Oscars whereas I'm a traditionalist like you I don't necessarily need 30 Oscar categories and 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 maybe they could you know do without some and and add others I I think 24 going back to that it would be great again to get the uh, stunts and and that that branch get a stunt branch into the to the academy I mean uh, gearheads and meatheads who we love get them in there and maybe you change your best picture uh, ten organically for Christ's sake uh, academy uh, leadership but okay let's talk about the analogy that I just started with Squid Game. Because we have Squid Game as that surprise nominee in in some of these TV categories. We have Succession, your favorite film or favorite TV series, non-reality. I I, I think I can gather from your Twitter and from your bio there, Scott. So I'm wondering two questions. I'm wondering, we just had a huge conversation about everything movies. Do you want more Squid Game out of this award season going forward? Where just like, all right, people get done away with. Or do you want more succession where it seems like there's just a different person in power every other minute and we can vacillate? Uh, and, and then what do you think is going to happen at SAG with these with these shows? Well, I'll say that the thing that, that keeps me from caring about television awards the same way I care about film awards is that film 
has such a natural yearly cycle. We can so mm. easily kind of look at every year as a snapshot, sometimes albeit not the best snapshot, and sometimes our favorites don't get in or whatever, or they get it wrong or whatever it is. But we can look back on it. We can we can talk about the Green Book year. Or we can talk about the Shape of Water year. Or we can talk about the year Rami Malek beat Bradley Cooper when he lip sank and Bradley Cooper became Eddie Vedder for a whole year. I digress. You know, <laughs> with TV, Preach. with TV, you're comparing apples to oranges to apples that are on season three to the final season of an orange and i just to me it's so weird that a show like squid game can pop on netflix everybody watches it the same week ironically i didn't i was late to the game but like that to me is like the closest you get to and that's why you know a, a, a show like the squid game in its first season will you know hit the ground running and sort of overperform in my opinion at these award shows because it's so it's like it just hits at the right time everybody watched it and boom it can go right into that award circuit Next year, come September, it's going to be nominated for all these Emmys, and everyone's going to be like, wait, what? Wasn't that two years ago, yeah. huh? And the fact that you have the SAGs and the Globes at the beginning of the year, the Emmys in September, and they're always like on the wrong side of one show and the right side of the other in the sense that one show just aired, just hit the uh, voting threshold, and boom, you can honor it at the right time. The other one, you just missed it, and it feels like you're honoring it two years later. They're already starting to air the next season. You're like, wait a minute, is this for season one or two or whatever? And because of that, it's just not fun to follow, right? You're like trying to, and you almost have to kind of just look at the odds and be like, oh, I guess that person's winning. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Like you almost have to remind yourself what you're actually looking at. Then of course you have shows that, oh, to get in on the show and to understand, say the Kaminsky method, I have to now watch 40 episodes. I'm not going to do that. And so I try to, as a SAG voter, at least watch a couple or at least watch a performance or two. But I will say as voters probably do, you tend to cater towards the shows that you're in bed with naturally already. And as you mentioned, mm. a show like Succession, which I already think is a, a top 10, if not a top five show of all time, even in three seasons here, um, is my current favorite show on TV. I think it's probably the, the best thing going on any screen of any size. Uh, and I think, you know, it's dominating awards left and right, but it's already kind of been out there. And so you wonder in a category that's crowded because of, for some reason, we don't have supporting categories for some reason. We're just like putting everybody in the same category. Another weird thing about SAG, but <laughs> you know, we have Kieran Culkin, we have Jeremy Strong, and we have Brian Cox here in the same category. You wonder, do, is everyone go with the grain and honor Jeremy Strong again? But he kind of already got his victory lap, right? He's already been honored before. Do you now, you know, give it to Kieran? Do you give it to Brian Cox? Or in a case of category splitting, does it end up going again to Squid Game because there's too many guys in the same category there? Who knows? That being said, it's not as fun to talk about, you know, and as much as I love shows and I root for shows, I don't have the same attachment to a show winning, you know, best series or best actor, or sometimes I will with a particular performer if I know them or like them or something like that. But it's not the same as with film, right? It's not the same as this year long trajectory, because again, we're all at different stops and starts and beats along the way with these different shows. And we all can't, I mean, the one thing that's great about life right now is there are so many shows and so much content, but we can't all agree to watch them all at the same time. And so it's asinine to agree to vote on them at the same time. So um, that being said, although I'm excited to see what happens on SAG Sunday from a TV perspective, um, it is vastly less interesting to me than on the film end. Well, I, Scott, you've been amazing. We cannot thank you enough for all the input. We have to do this again. We could go for another couple, probably three or four hours just on uh, <laughs> this year's stuff alone. Uh, before we say goodbye to you, I, I have to ask you this. I'm sorry, everyone that's not that doesn't care about <laughs> wrestling. Is Cody Rhodes showing up in Saudi Arabia Saturday? 
Oh man, I don't think on Saturday, but he will be he will be in WWE at some point on the road to WrestleMania. And even as somebody who loves AEW and loves Cody Rhodes, I ultimately think this is a good thing. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me. Uh, my guys, uh, Matt Cardona, uh, Mark Sterling, they disagree with me. Uh, they uh, everyone tends to think that this is a big win and a big coup for uh, for WWE. I disagree. I think having someone go the other way is a good thing for AEW. It shows that not, you know, it's like, okay, cool. You can just this endless faucet of Vince letting guys go and they go to AEW and eventually it's got to go the other way. In the attitude era of the 90s when wrestling was hotter than ever, you had people going from one side to the other and you never knew who was going to show up on one side. And when they came back to the other one, they were a bigger star because of it. So I think Cody Rhodes Essentially, when he shows up in WWE, anytime he's on screen is indirectly an ad for AEW. And I don't think it'll be the end of his ties for AEW forever. Eventually, he can get fed up with Vince and the terrible booking over there like he's bound to. And he can come back to (laughs) AEW with a fresh coat of paint and be an even bigger star. So I'll just say, as a wrestling fan who lives for this stuff and lives for the chatter, a day like yesterday when wrestling wasn't even on was like so exciting. Just living on Twitter and all the theories. And Bill Simmons spent 30 minutes talking about Cody Rhodes on his podcast podcast where you know just to hear him talk about anything but basketball for 30 minutes was a thrill but the fact that he wanted to talk about not stone cold steve austin who yeah. in the same day was also rumored that he will be making his return after i believe 19 years to wrestle mm-hmm. at wrestlemania people don't care about that they care about cody rhodes who left WWE years ago as a mid-carder that nobody cared about, reinvented his career, helped start AEW. now he's going back i think it's great for wrestling i think this is the epitome of why we like wrestling I went on this long spiel about on my podcast about why we loved, uh, for instance, uh, Spider-Man No No Way Home so much is that you have people from these other worlds coming in and you never thought, well, these movies exist in separate universes. You're never going to see Tobey Maguire on the same screen with another Spider-Man. That doesn't make sense. And what's great about wrestling is that's always on the table. You never Mm -hmm. know who's going to walk through that weird, uh, whatever those holes are that uh, Doctor Strange makes where you can walk through the dimension. (laughs) That happens every week or every month or every year on wrestling to differing, varying degrees of suspense. And for Cody Rhodes and EVP from AEW to potentially walk into a WWE ring, maybe on Saturday, maybe next week, maybe the week after that, to me, that is as big of a pop for me as when Andrew Garfield walks into that kitchen in Spider-Man No Way Home. So I'm excited. Uh, I could talk about that, as you said, for hours and hours and hours. It is taking over the wrestling world. And uh, to the Mike that does not watch wrestling, I'm sure everything I said <laughs> made absolutely no sense to you. And that's why I worked in a Spider-Man reference. So there you go. I appreciate that. No, I actually been reading a bunch of stuff that mike's been sending me and it has been fascinating so that's that's cool to hear man but scott in all sincerity you were amazing we cannot thank you enough i cannot wait to do this again but uh thank you we're going to give you uh we do your plugs for you on the intro and outro but is there anything else that uh, you want to plug or anywhere that we may not know of that people can find you or your work coming up i will say that if you like the challenge the show that has been airing for 37 38 seasons on mtv i highly recommend you check out our podcast challenge mania it is mainly about that but if you want to follow me on twitter at shot of yeager y-a-g-e-r i do talk about other stuff uh i do clog my feed with tons of Oscar stuff and uh, film reviews and things like that and uh, also watch the challenge All Stars on Paramount Plus which features my co-host Derek Kaczynski and uh, watch AEW Wednesday nights on TBS Dynamite baby that's all I got thank you so much Scott this was a blast yeah I think we have a new friend Mike uh, that went about <laughs> as well as any uh, first time interview for us possibly could have and, and sincerely we said it a bunch of times to Scott on air and we say it here in the outro as well cannot thank him enough Mike please uh, tell the good people the words of wisdom which is to follow Scott Yeager everywhere you possibly can right 
Yeah, listen to Challenge Mania wherever you get your podcasts. Join their Patreon for all kinds of exclusive content and interaction. They do Q&As over there, exclusive Q&As. Uh, they, they cover all the ins and outs and the behind-the-scenes stuff from the Challenge. And uh, you could see them in person at Challenge Mania and their live shows. So you can buy tickets at challengemania.live. Otherwise, follow Scott at Shot of Jaeger, S-H-O-T-Y-A-G-E-R are the two spellings there. And uh, that's their Twitter handle. Otherwise, he is Scott of Jaeger on Instagram. So some some wordplay. That man knows how to brand. Yeah, he knows how to brand himself. The wordplay, it's tremendous. Words of wisdom. Learn how to wordplay. Like 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 a Scott Yeager right here, but no, yeah. Follow Scott; he does a great job. And uh, I don't even know anything about. I watch 110 documentaries a year. I don't know anything about the challenge, Mike, except the fact that I love listening to his podcast. I've been you know binging it for the last couple of weeks since we booked him, and uh, I didn't know if I would because I, I have I have literally no frame of reference. I hadn't watched it since I was younger, but I, I love listening to the show. And he does episodes on movies and TV and wrestling all. All great listens, great stuff. Yeah, he referenced Bill Simmons a couple times in this show. I got into the challenge years ago uh, because Bill Simmons was talking so glowingly about it and calling it America's fifth professional sport and it's it's addictive stuff and and scott's show challenge mania is an addictive listen as well and i could talk to scott for hours just about all things challenge and pro wrestling and all that fun stuff related that has nothing to do with oscars or award season but i uh i did my best to show restraint and for that i think i should be commended you uh, did take show my a cookie lot now. of uh <laughs> restraint and deserve a cookie because at, at any you. point at any point i thought it was just gonna be well the miz says and <laughs> paul <laughs> I'll tell you what, it will be next time. <laughs> I'm surprised. Like at any moment, it could have gone off the rails uh, and 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 smelled what the Rock was cooking or whatever uh, dated ref- wrestling reference I could come up with here. Uh, yeah, please do uh, follow Scott. Go listen to Challenge Mania. Give them a five star review wherever you do listen to podcasts. Uh, once you're done doing so, if you appreciate what we do here at MMO, feel free to leave us a five star review as well. Uh, we appreciate everyone who has done so. Otherwise, as always, what matters to us most, dear listener, are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about this episode or anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MMN Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. Michael, you've given the words of wisdom for this episode. Tell the good people what's coming next on MMO. Well, I think we covered the main card at the Oscars, but that's not the fun of the Oscars for us. That's half the fun. We got to cover the undercard at the Oscars and we have a guest that's going to help us discuss the tech categories, the artisan categories. I always am afraid to jinx these bookings, but I also want to publicize them. She's a returning guest from last year, Jazz Tanke. I think we'll get her at some point, even if we didn't get, if it fell through this weekend, but that's who's next. And I cannot wait to talk to her about Dune and all the intrigue with those uh, with those artisan categories, we had such a blast talking to her last year from Variety, talking about her year at Variety uh, and uh, and everything she's covered in the movie world, Mike. There's nobody better to talk to. I mean, she's the Variety's artisans expert. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Find me somebody better to talk to about the artists and categories. Uh, Looking forward to talking with that. And yeah, like Mike said, we we, we hope that happens. And if it doesn't, it probably will before Oscars Sunday anyway. So uh, that's on the horizon. Yeah, knock on wood, certainly. Uh, Otherwise, after a not-so-awkward edit, guys, as we always say, when reality (laughs) sucks, you can come get ready for the major precursors with us and our new friends. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See ya. Oh, 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 oh,